This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your guide on the side, your coach for life. Just us. Just us two. Hanging out with Jeffrey uh, Liam Simpson. You got it right. I know. I, I keep wanting to say Lamar. Don't know why. But Liam works better for me. And just, for you. I just want to point out that yesterday I showed tremendous restraint. What did you do? I did not disclose to the listeners exactly why you were not here. Oh, you Because didn't? typically, you know, if I were gone because of an illness, we'd spend the entire day or week uh, poking fun at my illness. Like when you had the stomach flu and you got so sick because you had a salad with shrimp and... You were sick all night for a day and a half. You've just proven my point. So, uh, but the reason, part of the reason I didn't disclose what was really going on is because that is probably one of the last things on earth that I want to have inflicted upon me. So I didn't want karma to come around and and bite me. Oh, really? Right. Weird. So are you you saying that the passing of a kidney stone... Uh, the, the pain of my life was caused by in having made fun of you. I didn't say that. Huh. You said that. Yeah. Yeah, I just did, didn't I? Anyway, I'm feeling a lot better. <laughs> There's nothing that makes you feel more like a man than passing a tiny little stone that I named Chip, affectionately. Chip 2, because I already had a Chip 1. Uh, from years ago. Aren't those Dr. Seuss characters, Chip 1 and Chip 2? Chip 1 and Chip 2. Hey, uh, yeah, I'm feeling great. Life is, once you've you've had one, but the the pain is incredible, right? A kidney kidney stone is incredibly painful. But I'm good. I do need to drink more. Drink more water. Drink more water. That's all I said yesterday. The problem, when I drink water, where I, every single break here, I'm in the bathroom. Well, you know, that's why it's right down the hall. Oh, is that why? Well, they, they try to put it close to the uh, working, you know, areas so that you do have a convenience. So um, let me just tell you this. I am – I pull up my email this morning. I have an email from Steve Kafusi, hmm. uh, a coach, Stephen Kafusi from BYU. Yep. And he's standing next to my son who's on an LDS mission in Missouri. I thought you were going to say this is the son that's running for student body president. No. Because that would be great publicity. That would be really great publicity. He saw my son. He and some other, I guess, BYU recruiters are out. and This is the time of year, They yes. met my son and his mission companion took a picture and then he sent me an email. That's great. Isn't that cool? Yeah. So I get to see my son. And my son's looking ripped. Reminds me of my old days. My son's... You know, what, I, I'm sorry. What was that? Hmm? Reminds me of when I used to be ripped. Like when you ripped your clothes, or no? Well, yeah, they, my clothes used to rip then too. Hmm. Yeah, those were the good old days before I had three beautiful little kidney stones. <laughs> I thought, I thought raised, it was two. Did you just have another I've had one? Three no. over okay. my lifetime. <laughs> I, like, I, wow, I named did two we miss chip. something? What just happened? No, I've had three over my lifetime. Oh, okay. It's all good, you guys. It's yeah. all good. Just drink lots and lots of water. No harm, no foul. It really – it was a whole body experience though and someday I'll get into it with you. Oh, that's great. Can't wait. Like every part of my body was shutting down. Mm. Sounds like fun. 
Tons of fun. By the <laughs> way, we'll also be posting video. Oh, wow. Play by play. Yeah, we'll get to all that fun. Um, boy, oh boy, what did I miss, though, too? I mean, I, it's always scary for me when I leave you two in charge of the farm. You missed like a 10-minute critique of what? Of the Thor Ragnarok trailer. Yeah. <laughs> I am so glad. And it carried on to another segment. It was great. Boy. The gloves came off. So for it all was, the listeners, oof. I'm so sorry that you had to go through no, that. No, they, they benefited from the conversation. Oh, how do you know that? Did you get a call? Did you get I just feel you can just feel it sometimes that the, the, the audience is just riveted to your The magic what you're was saying. there. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I'm so sorry I missed it. And I'm so sorry to all the listeners that had to hear it. Well now they know. Now they know not to That there is an awesome movie coming out, Thor and Hulk are gonna fight. Seriously, though, do you think they'd rather hear us talk about a movie trailer or you talk about kidney stones? Oh, for sure, me talking about kidney stones. Hmm. Really? I mean, you really think half of the people out there care, give a flip about Thor? Well, do you know how many people watched the trailer? It was like 12 million in 24 hours. Well, actually, it was about 4 million three times. That's Let's probably true. Okay. Well, How many times did you watch it? Six. Okay. So there you have it. I only watched it once. <laughs> okay. Talk about restraint. So between the two of you, seven times. That's pretty what I call in my world jacked up. No, you're talking like all That's the way up. through. No. Because, I, I mean, it started several times. As so I maybe 14 certain, times you started it. Maybe. And they, 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 count, they count those views. But uh, I was reading articles that were describing things that were in it in depth. It's a minute and a half of just wonderment. 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 Have you passed a kidney stone? No. I drink lots of water. So when the stone no is out, that's wonderment. <laughs> Thor, the fact that it's so small but cause so much pain? Yeah. Okay. I have. If you give a kidney stone <laughs> like, to Thor, really? that was the, all that was the Thor couldn't handle a kidney stone. Probably not. Totally. He's, What's you, you drinking water? He's drinking water. Everyone's drinking water now. Everyone's hydrating. We're downing it. I've already had 32 ounces of water this morning, which means so, we got to get to a break. I've had 48. <laughs> have you really? I have. Let's break this up. And I had a 176 ounces yesterday. Well, okay. There is a point that you're having too much water. No. Yeah. The trick is to take drowning. it to the hazing point and then yeah. dial it back a bit. Oh, take it to the wa- waterboard point? Yes. And then dial it back. Yeah. Sounds like a great idea. Okay. We'll get to that fun ahead. Also, we're going to be talking about success and luck. Mm. At what point is it you that made all this success in your life or were you just seriously lucky? And the research shows how you look at it determines how you end up giving back to the world. If you think that you made your success happen, you're much less likely to give back versus thinking it was good luck or gratitude or, you know, deity, you know, interceding in your life. We'll get to that interesting topic ahead. But first to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country? White House spokesperson Sean Spicer had a tough couple of days. Yeah, he did. Monday, he tried to explain how the missile strike in Syria was, in fact, part of a humanitarian effort to help the people of Syria. That's what he really? tried. He's trying to explain it that way in the okay. press conference. So it's, it's about humanitarian. It's kind of a reach. Okay. It I, mean, I, I get it, it. They probably had a good reason, like there humanitarian ha- motive. Right. So there was that. And then on Tuesday, there was bombings involved. Tuesday, he tried to say the Syrian president Bashar al-Assad is worse than Hitler. We didn't use chemical weapons in World War II. You know, you had a, you know, someone as despicable as Hitler who didn't even sink to using chemical weapons. So... You have to, if you're Russia, 
ask yourself, is this a country that you and a regime that you want to align yourself with? He, go, he keeps going, keeps going on. Yeah, he should but just stop. Spicer is likely referring to the tactics used in World War II battlefield as Zyklon B. Pesticides were used by the Nazi regime in its concentration camps. Yeah. Right? So they did use chemical weapons. They just didn't use them on the battlefield. Well, and yeah, they used crematoriums. They used... They, they, they had camps. They used gas. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not the same, but... I think the minute you're pulling out Hitler yeah. ever... I was sitting at home reading this, and I'm like, I can actually hear people's heads exploding with this. Unbelievable. Okay. Ring Hitler, he goes, though he did himself no favors when he was asked about the remark later in the same briefing. Someone gave him an opportunity maybe to walk this back. I think when you come to sarin gas, uh, there was no, he was not using the gas on his own people the same way uh. that Ashad is doing. I mean, there was clearly, I, I, I understand your point. Thank you. I, thank you. I appreciate that. There was not... In the in the he brought him into the to um, to the Holocaust Center. I understand that, but I'm saying in the way that Assad used them, where he went into towns, dropped them down to innocent into the middle of the towns. It was brought to so the use of it. And I appreciate the clarification there. That was not the intent. Right. So he called them Holocaust centers. Holy cow! Concentration camps. Um, the idea that Assad was dropping him on his own people in the city. Whereas the Nazis were taking the German Jews out of the city into a camp outside the city. Yeah, it was different. Right, so different methodology, I guess. Just stay away from Hitler. So following the press briefing, Spicer released an additional statement. In no way was I trying to lessen the horrendous nature of the Holocaust. However, I was trying to draw a contrast of the tactic of using airplanes to drop chemical weapons on innocent people. In an additional statement, that's always good when you have a statement, you have to do another one to clarify more. Any attack on innocent people is reprehensible and inexcusable. He then had to you know, explain more. He went on CNN, and uh, where was that one? That's uh, clip five. And frankly, I mistakenly uh, used an inappropriate and insensitive reference to the Holocaust, for which, frankly, there is, there no, uh, there is no, no, no comparison. And for that, I, I apologize. It was a mistake to do that. So... Four times he had to get the fourth times when he actually did it right. Maybe he's going <laughs> to apologize to Hitler next. Somebody. Somebody <laughs> is still not feeling. So, and then people went to the point where he's a Holocaust denier. Like, well, no, he made a mistake. He's made a horrible, like you said, don't bring Hitler into the yeah. conversation. You're well, fine. It's interesting. And he, that's, that's about as fast as the White House does anything right there. Right. That's the fastest retraction I think ever. That was great. The whole day I was like, wow, what are you doing? The White House on Tuesday accused Russia of helping to cover up the chemical weapons attack in Syria last week, which was determined by U.S. intelligence and foreign governments to be a, a sarin gas attack carried out by Bashar al-Assad. You have uh, Rex Tillerson's in Moscow right now. No word on He's going to meet with his counterpart, the foreign uh, secretary or whatever, the foreign minister, or yeah. whatever his term for their secretary of state. No word on if he's going to meet with Putin. That was scheduled and it was canceled. Apparently, if the first meeting goes well, maybe Putin will see him. Okay. The pre-meeting. The pre- there's a pre-meeting. That's if good. that meeting That's goes good. well, if Tillerson doesn't like walk, in there, walk in there and try to chew him out for being part of all this, then Russia's going to talk to him. <laughs> uh, classified documents, according to CNN, Republican and Democratic lawmakers and aides have now found, have found no evidence that the Obama administration did anything unusual or illegal after reviewing some of the same intelligence reports brought to light by House Intelligence Chairman Devin Nunez. If you remember that whole fiasco yeah, from yeah. last week. They looked at the same documents. They don't see anything that, that points to what Nunez was talking oh, about. Oh, really? So now was he just so making n- something yeah, up? Yeah, nothing or, there. So, and, and we can't really talk to him because they're all on recess. Everybody went home for Easter. 
So we'll see how that goes. Um, and also, the Trump administration plans to lift the federal hiring freeze today. According to the White House Budget Director Mick Mulvaney, he briefed the reporters on Tuesday about the change, ca- uh, cautioning that this does not mean agencies will be able to hire willy-nilly. Yeah. So just a few days after taking office, the president imposed the uh, the executive order demanding the freeze, which then offered criticism because the Veterans Administration needs a lot of people to help out with their backlog and helping with veterans. Yeah. And now they can't hire those people and people uh. are still waiting around for treatment. See, it's a system, folks. It's crazy. So, yeah, you missed some things yesterday. Well, and uh, United Airlines. United $250 million uh, drop in stock price. Did that ever bounce back? I don't think so yet. Okay. But it will, right? I mean, I mean eventually. You yes. drag one guy off of an airplane, and then the next thing you know, your stock price loses a quarter of a billion dollars. This is why people need to know that you can impact big companies. Right. You, but the problem is the, the all they have to do is drop their fares. Yeah, and everyone's and jumped everyone's like, right oh, back I on. I love United. The other interesting part is people have delved into the background of the doctor that yeah. was dragged off the plane, and he's got some shady things that has happened <laughs> in his past. Now, the 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 problem there, uh, the paper that initially did the reporting was the uh, Louisville Courier Journal, right? right? So it's in that area he lives. So he's one of he's one of you know their citizens. So they went and tried to figure out who this guy is. You find out some bad things. Do you publish him? Because the story is this guy was yeah. wrong by being yanked off the plane. Right. Now it's kind of turning to, oh, this guy's kind of got some bad stuff in his background. So then some people are like, oh, he deserved it. No. But, but and so, yes. And then the paper gets hit. They're like, you're just doing PR work for the, the – right. you're, you're defending United in this. You're taking no. a side. And like, well, no, we're just telling you who this guy is and here's some of his background. And, and it it's probably goes back to – this is, again, one of these complicated situations of the world where – you you just probably when three officers board the plane, you probably ought to just get off the plane. Well, yeah, but he didn't, and, and that he paid for that. He paid yeah. for that. But then United can't come out and say what they said. Yeah, they they were saying we're they correct in our behavior, yeah. and this is all legal. They defa- and, you yeah. don't defend a video like that. No, I mean the guy they were yanking on the guy, right? <laughs> and that poor lady in uh, seat eight C. Yes, who was. What are you Screaming doing? the entire time. <laughs> oh, but I don't know. Tension was there. It was crazy. But again, this is – there's how many people on a plane? 150 people on an airplane right. waiting for four to board. And uh, then who gets on are four United Airline employees. They – who was it? Delta Airlines paid like $11,000 to get someone off an airplane. Right. You just pay them money. You just keep their – Everybody on that plane would have gotten off for a price. So if they needed oh, yeah. four people to get off, just keep raising them. They got up to eight hundred dollars. Yeah. So it cost them two hundred and fifty mil, mm-hmm. but it could have just cost them maybe a thousand a ticket, four thousand right. bucks. Come on, you've got the money. I, by the way, on my flight home from Ohio uh, last week, I I got the last seat between two really burly football player type men. Right. Wow. Uh, so fortunate, and they had to they had to take a grandma off the plane for yeah, you to get that they, seat. Yeah. <laughs> they ripped a lady off a grandma. So you off were squeezed in between large people. And it was, but they were like footballish, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it was the worst. But still, were they four and a half hours? Who of my was life. sitting in your seat? You were them. We all were. You were all. <laughs> yeah. I like to think of it as sharing the seat. Yeah, and it was so because they were so broad chested 
that um, my arms either had to – I either had to put my arms kind of behind theirs. Mm-hmm. Then it was like all the weight of their shoulders and arms were on me or I had to push my arms forward and kind of together. So I really – I sat there with my arms together wow. on my tray. But I heard that the three of you, four and a half hours, the three of you bonded over a few episodes of uh, This Is Us. Yeah, we're having dinner. Yeah, these guys very, very emotional. They would cry (laughs) at almost every scene. And um, then there's that weird moment where you need to go to the bathroom, Mm. but you don't. You're like uh, everyone's going to have to move. Yeah, and this could take an hour. Right. But then you're like, well, I better get get it started. Yeah, because you're going to land at some point. That's probably why I got the old kidney stone, because I didn't hydrate well during that trip. Because you didn't want to have to go to the bathroom. Yeah, I didn't want to have to b- bother everybody. There's like some gravitational forces mm-hmm. happening. Yeah, plus, yeah, just the G's we were pulling <laughs> as we're flying in that airplane. Oh, boy, the tangled web. Okay, we are going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to be talking success and luck Good fortune. Did you earn it? Was it a was it luck? Was it a gift? Was it a blessing? And does it matter how you look at it? We think it does. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Parents teach their children that if they work hard, it will pay off, right? Although we teach our children that a cultivation of talent, sweat, and tears is what helps us to succeed, there might be a little more to the equation. And uh, psychologically, it actually might do better for us and for the rest of the world if we would start to look at luck and the impact uh, luck has on whether we succeed or not instead of just giving, you know, attributing all of our success to ourselves. Today joining us is Dr. Robert H. Frank. He's a professor of management and economics at Cornell University and the author of the book Success and Luck, Good Fortune and the Myth of Meritocracy. And he's here to help us answer some questions on the subject. Uh, Dr. Robert H. Frank, thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. This is um, such an interesting discussion because what what does an economics professor, why are you talking about luck? Uh, I got interested in luck, I think, primarily because I've been uh, such a conspicuous beneficiary of it in my own life. I've had uh, the the good fortune of surviving a couple of near-death experiences and was very lucky in in terms of some career breaks I got early on. Uh, So I think the, the general tendency is that luck doesn't hit us over the head quite as hard as it has in my case, most of the time. And so we're, we're more likely to just overlook the role of chance events in life. Uh, you know, every life is a, a series of thousands of steps. They're small steps mostly, but if any one of them had been different, that shifts the path just a little bit, and then the, the differences accumulate over time. So outcomes that seem like they were under our control and inevitable when they, when they happen uh, – 
really weren't inevitable that could have turned out very differently if if any any one of a thousand little things had been different along the way. Yeah. And a lot of, it seems like a lot of what your point is um, in your book and in the research as well is how you see the event as kind of earned, you know, meritocracy, something you've earned and created and deserved is it creates a different approach to how you approach the world with your luck, your benefit versus if you see it as something that was just uh, kind of chance. No, that's right, Matt. I, I use as an epigram in the book uh, a line from an E.B. White essay. Uh, he, he wrote that luck is not a subject you can mention in the presence of self-made men. <laughs> uh, and I think there is a tendency, if you've been successful, uh, almost certainly you did work hard for a long time. Most successful people are hardworking. They're, they're also talented they got up early, they worked late, they solved hard problems, they vanquished very formidable foes along the way. Those are the natural ingredients of your narrative. They spring uh, very quickly to mem- from memory when you're constructing your life story. But, you know, the little things that may have made a difference, maybe you had a teacher that kept you out of trouble in the 11th grade or, or some uh, promotion you got early on, maybe there was a more qualified colleague who couldn't accept it because he had to stay home to take care of an ailing parent. I mean, those things don't uh, spring as readily to mind when you're figuring out why you did so well in life. And so I think the, the lesson is that uh, if you can reflect on that and, and acknowledge that, yeah, you had, you had, if you'd been born in Somalia, Somalia, things wouldn't have turned out quite as well for you probably. Mm. If, if you could dwell on that for a minute, uh, it seems to transform the way you think about your life, and, and not in a bad way. I mean, it makes you feel grateful for the fact that things turned out well for you. It makes you feel a, a desire to reach out and, and help other people uh, enjoy the, the kinds of breaks that you had. So, yeah, I think it's people are worried that if they acknowledge that they had a few breaks along the way, that... that People are going to want to take things away from them or not give them credit, but that doesn't seem to be the effect at all. Right. People, people like it when you acknowledge that you you had a few break, breaks along your path to the top. Yeah, and I guess it all it makes it more. Um, it seems less mythical, right? Less mysterious, and and we've heard this right. in stories about. Um, I, I guess a lot of the tech gurus, the the. Um, I guess all of these people that we hold up, Bill Gates, for example, happened to have lived and go to school where they were doing a lot of coding as young people. Right. And so he had an opportunity to code more and faster than and, and have more opportunity to do that. He wasn't just pure genius. He was pure genius with opportunities. You talk about a really interesting opportunity that really saved your life um, that you alluded to a little bit earlier. Maybe talk about – your crazy heart moment. <laughs> uh, I was playing tennis with my longtime friend and collaborator, Tom Gilovich. It was 10 years ago now, almost 10 years ago. Uh, he tells me uh, that I complained of feeling nauseated during the second set we were playing on a Saturday morning as we sat during a changeover. He said the next thing he knew, I'd fallen off the bench. I was lying completely still, no pulse, no mm. breath, uh, 
he called out for somebody to dial 911, and then he flipped me onto my back and started pounding on my chest. Uh, he, he couldn't get anywhere with that until finally, after many minutes, he said he got a cough out of me. But then uh, I expired yet again, and he was giving up uh, when in through the door bursts the EMT crew. Uh, they put the paddles on me. They, they got me revived again, and they, they flew me to a hospital in Pennsylvania uh, where they put me on ice overnight. I was completely out of it for uh, two or three days, mm. unable to speak a coherent sentence, but then woke up on day with a clear head, and, and I've been fine ever since. I, I had suffered an episode of sudden cardiac death. Wow. Uh, I, I was told by, by doctors, and, and 98% of the people die, uh, stay dead from those episodes. I made it uh, because just by chance there had been two auto accidents that had occurred near the tennis facility where we were playing. It's five minutes out of town. Five miles out of town would have taken half an hour for an ambulance to reach me. Oh, my way. heavens. But but one of the accidents wasn't serious, and so the driver of, of the ambulance who'd been assigned to it peeled off and came to me, and except for that, you know, I'm not here. Yeah. So, yeah, I, you can say, well, that's fate, that's divine intervention, who knows what it is, but I think it, I was just the beneficiary of a lucky combination of events that day. Mm-hmm. Well, and and you also live in a country that has, you know, medical EMS that can get there and that can communicate and defibrillate and get you to a hospital that, oh, then they life flighted you or air flighted you to another hospital where there were experts. So, yeah, lucky, but also, I guess, economically privileged. Is it the same thing? Yeah. Uh, If if you, you know, the luckiest thing that can happen to you is to be born of the right parents in the right place at the right time. So, yes. all that's uh, part of what I count as a, a component of a person's good fortune in life. Yeah, if you're born uh, in a tough environment, you can still succeed and you should try. Uh, and, and many people do succeed, but but it's much, much more difficult to succeed if you come from a, an environment where uh, there are people battling one another day and night and there's not enough to eat. Yeah. Did in your research, have you noticed, is there a difference between, um, you know, are some people more luckier than others or is luck just a a random percentage that we all experience and or and those that feel like they're luckier just are looking for more luck? You know, I think if you're alert and and, uh, focused, you're much more likely to spot an opportunity that comes along. There's been some research in England showing that people differ a lot in their attitudes about how lucky they are. The people who think they're lucky, those people are actually more likely to spot opportunities when mm. they're given tests. Uh, you know, you, you get a prize if you know something. Uh, and and, and they, those people really do uh, spot the opportunities more effectively than the people who think of themselves as unlucky. So, yeah, partly it's an attitude, but... But in the end, uh, why do people have that attitude rather than a different a- attitude? I think you know your your temperament is is a complicated thing. It's a it's a product of your genes and your upbringing and and the people you meet. You know, so I, if if you get a good temperament in life, that's, you're pretty lucky in the end. Well, and isn't that interesting? Talk about randomness. I mean, the genetic random genetic 
roll of the dice that we all get to pick up our health situation. I mean, even your heart condition probably had some genetic component as well, and that was a yeah. random just roll of the die. Right. Yep. And I, the experiments that psychologists have done, they will put people in situations where they get into a, a little bit of difficulty, and then somebody comes along and offers to, to help them out of the jam that they're in. Uh, they, they reliably uh, show that people who have that experience feel grateful for the help they got, but then they're given a chance in a in an unrelated uh, setting to, to help a person, a perfect stranger. The people who feel grateful are much more likely to help somebody else in distress mm. uh, and, and to donate to a charity that, 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 uh, that they might not have donated to. So feeling gratitude uh, is just kind of a, a, the psychologists are learning. It's, it's kind of a magic elixir. You, you're happier when you feel grateful. Uh, your social relationships go more smoothly. Other people like you more when, when you're experiencing gratitude. You're, you're healthier. You sleep better. Uh, so usually in economics, the, the, the things we have that we value are scarce. You have to husband them. But if you can allow yourself to experience gratitude more readily, but there's no scarcity there. It seems to feed on itself and and, and only generate benefits, no cost. Hmm. Does does uh, feeling gratitude, did, have you found in any of the research, does it matter if you attribute your your blessings in life to a higher power versus just to luck? Is there a difference between those that ascribe it to, uh, you know, intervention from a higher power versus just random luck? Uh, I, I don't know the answer to that question. The psychological research that's been done where, where they, the researchers induce gratitude in subjects, uh, uh, none, of, none of that research that I've, I'm familiar with has made any reference to uh, higher powers. Yeah. It's, it's, just a, it's just a circumstantial manipulation that the researchers do. And it's, and it's, about, uh, it's about gratitude, though, really. It's, do you sense yeah, it's really gratitude. gratitude? You can, you can be gratitude grateful for any any of a variety of reasons so I, I would not expect that if you feel grateful to a higher power that would be any less effective than yeah. feeling grateful for any other reason yeah it's um because again there's so many there's so many that are that see the luck in their life and and they feel blessed and use the word blessed and um, right, but but really, I guess the bigger point too is whether you call it luck or grace or blessings, seeing it as not you, but just some, kind of the randomness of life, may set you up uh, to be a more giving, caring, charitable person. Uh, Robert, let's take a break. Come back and continue this discussion with you. The luck of success. Your and and your book. Um, what is it? What is it that drives us to this? Uh, gratitude in our hearts for what we've been given. Is it about you and all that you've done? Or is your success in life coming really just from the fact that you are lucky, you are blessed? We'll take a break. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. 
We are speaking with Dr. Robert H. Frank, uh, an economics professor at Cornell University and author of the book Success and Luck, Good Fortune and the Myth of Meritocracy. He's here today teaching us that uh, if you see your life as something that you've earned, that you're a self-made person versus seeing it that you've been blessed or lucky, you've, uh, you, you know, you struck luck, um, then it might impact and it does impact how you are willing to give back to the community and to the world. So uh, this paradigm, um, it's important. It's important to see how you evaluate your own personal success or not. Dr. Frank, thank you again for being with us. Yes, it's it's really uh, fun to talk to you, Matt. Is this? I, I want to yeah clarify. I want to say that uh, you you don't want to downplay the importance of hard work and developing skills. Right. I mean, there there are very few people who succeed who don't work hard. The the important thing for people to try to remember, though, is that there are lots of people who do work hard and who are quite skillful who never achieve any real material success. And I guess that that is the big scale. That's the determinant is 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 uh, kind of economic success is really what we're looking at. Yeah, I think the book is focused mainly on, you know, who who are the big winners in material terms. You know, these markets are very competitive. The the ones that bestow the biggest rewards that society has to offer. And the people who win in those markets are almost always really talented. They work long hours. They're, they're incredibly deserving in that sense. But uh, what we don't see is all the people who tried and didn't succeed uh, on nearly as grand a scale. Those people oftentimes are better than the ones who succeeded. It's just a couple of chance breaks along the way that made the difference between the ones who made it and the ones who didn't. What do you um, – and what impact – does this kind of winner-take-all market have on a lot of this? Because it, it does seem that there's a disproportionate amount of people, uh, maybe the 1% or the half a percent now, that own so much more than everyone else. Are they just more lucky? <laughs> or how does how does the market you know what, itself impact it? What's happened is that uh, technology lets uh, the person who's really good at something serve a much broader swath of the market now than ever before. So if you're the, if you're the best storyteller, uh, you, can, you can tell stories for the whole world. The Internet puts your, your content in front of everybody. Uh, it used to be you'd be the best storyteller in the village, uh, and that was good enough. You had, you had an audience. You didn't get a spectacular payday from that. But if you're the best storyteller now, you can serve the entire world market, and, and, and some version of that story repeats itself in almost every domain. So, so now the, the contest is to see who, who can be anointed at the best of whatever narrow thing uh, they're doing. That person gets a huge reward. The ones who are uh, right uh, bunched up together with that person in terms of talent and effort, uh, the, the one who's a little bit better than he is may not be as lucky as the one that had the, the good fortune to end up in the winner's circle mm. in that race. So, yeah, I think to look, look at it as an inevitable consequence of the fact that you worked hard and you were smart, that's not the way to think about it. Uh, you worked hard, you were smart, and you were lucky is really the, the way to parse it. Yeah. What do you say to the person, you know, at the dinner party that – 
that that doesn't believe in luck, you know, believes it was all up to them. They made it all happen. Yeah. What would you say to them as as the person that's written the book and researched it? You know, there there may be a kind of an odd adaptiveness to look at the world that way. You know, I think if you're if you think of yourself as as the captain of your own fate, maybe you're more uh, psychologically equipped to deal with the challenges that you're going to confront out there along the path to a, a successful outcome. So, so you know, I, I wouldn't want to discourage people from thinking that it's all up to them. But yeah. I, I think once once you've made it, that's when it's really important to reflect and 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 acknowledge that it wasn't just all up to you. You were born in a, in a place where you had an opportunity to su- succeed. Something bad didn't happen to you along the way. I mean, there are all these things that it would be useful for you to remember once you've succeeded. Maybe before you succeed. Mm. Uh, uh, sure, go ahead. Assume yeah, it's think it's about you. you. <laughs> yeah, work as hard <laughs> as you can, do everything you can. But you're saying when you succeed, make sure you look back at the at truly the 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 luck the blessings the the many things that contributed right. to your success and i guess that then turned you more outward huh it turned you more toward being a, a better member of community to giving back to community that makes you more into the kind of person that that we would want to spend time with yeah yeah it, it, <laughs> the guy who thinks he did it all by himself you know that you don't want to have dinner with that guy no no and um, I mean, remember there was the whole big uh, issue a few years ago with President Obama when he was talking to the business leaders and saying, you didn't build that. You know, you use the roads of our government. You use the, you know, the brain power of our population. And he was trying to right. – but there was such backlash about how dare the government say that, you know – they're the bringer of luck. Do you see that government does bring or cost people luck? Sure, sure. The the institutions we have are absolutely essential if you're going to start a business and hope to to make money off of it. If you didn't have the courts and the police and the roads and the schools, you you couldn't even begin to think about doing that. Uh, he he did have a bad choice of words that you didn't build yeah. that phrase really did provoke people. But what I've found, Matt, is that when you talk to successful people, it's it's generally not a, a good idea to remind them that they've been lucky. That seems to kindle a defensive reaction mm. in them. So true. <laughs> Instead, try this. Uh, ask your successful friends if they can think of an example or any examples of lucky breaks they enjoyed along the way. Uh, they don't seem to be angry or, or become defensive when you ask them that question. You can see that they take an immediate interest in thinking about it. Their eyes light up when they can think of an example, and they're, they're happy to relate it to you. And when they, they relate it, that kindles the memory of another example. They tell you about that, too. And before long, they're they're asking, why aren't we investing in this or that to help other people get a chance to make it? Mm. So it re- it really matters how you have the conversation. I, I, I wish President Obama had had a chance to reflect on that before he gave that speech yeah. because it was an important speech, but it didn't have the effect that I think he wanted it to have. Well, and, and it, it seems like we always try to dichotomize an either or every one of these arguments, but... What I'm hearing you say is that there's a big and here, 
and we work hard and the be- the government created conditions that could help you succeed and right. you struck gold because you hit luck and um, and you know you're smart I mean these can all go together yep everything has to go right for you to be a big winner in, in the competitive world that we're in now and and you can do almost everything right and still not make it uh, and so if you do make it just just realize that except for this or that Brian Cranston, uh, the the star of Breaking Bad, uh, yeah. was somebody I'd never heard of before he got that role. There were two other actors offered the part before he got it. Brian, Brian Cranston uh, would never have been on my radar screen ever, but now he's the most famous actor in his slice of the demographic in, in the world. Yeah, isn't that Everybody true? wants him. Does it was, uh, there, he, he was the dad and Malcolm in the middle? Exactly, exactly. There seems to be this uh, this um underlying lesson that if i if i will invoke that some of my life is inherently lucky fortuitous blessed um there's also it almost breeds a humility that it just yeah. as easily could have gone another way yes and and what an attractive quality that is in people yeah the, we, we don't really admire the the person who thinks it was just all his own doing mm mm-hmm. mhm yeah, that's so true. Now, as we wrap up, Robert, we have about a minute left. What would you What would you say to us to teach our – what should we teach our children? How do we teach our, our children about luck? What, what I, I tell students who ask me for advice of that sort, I say, uh, try, to re- try to remember if there was ever anything you did that made you feel completely absorbed, uh, the state that psychologists call flow. Yeah. You know, you're not conscious of the passage of time. Try to find a job that enables you to experience that state, because if you do, then you're going to get wrapped up in it. You're going to become an expert at it uh, without any of the suffering and effort that it usually takes to become an expert at something takes thousands of hard, hard hours of practice to get good at something. But if you love the thing you're doing, then you'll get to be an expert at it. Maybe, uh, given the technology we have now, even if not very many people care about whatever this thing is, you'll be able to supply enough people with what you do to make money. But even if not, you're going to be pretty happy. You're going to be working all day at something you really enjoy doing. Yeah, in a state of flow. Dr. Robert H. Frank, thank you so much. For your time, again, a professor of management and economics at Cornell University and the author of Success and Luck, Good Fortune, and the Myth of Meritocracy. Ah, Good to be lucky, isn't it? And uh, whether you call it luck or blessed, we've all got a little taste of it, a little touch of it. We'll take a break. When we come back, our own McKenna Baus will be joining us to do a little mind bender for us. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show, helping you be a little luckier and a little more blessed. Stick with us. Welcome to her house. She is looking about. She is here to break down things you didn't know now. Welcome back, friends. In the studio with us is our own producer, McKenna Baus. Baus in the house, and she's she always brings us a little mind bender, uh, different ways to look at the same old arguments. Mm-hmm. Today we're talking global warming. Yeah. What a how who could have a an argument about global warming? Well, How about it's everybody. Everybody, right? It's a big hot button issue, and most of the dialogue um, in terms that surrounds it is in the sense of how can we cut greenhouse gas emissions? 
you know, cutting, using less oil, putting less CO2 into the atmosphere. It all sort of focuses there. And that's where a lot of hangups right. sort of enter the issue because people are saying, well, these alternative fuel sources are too expensive. You know, we don't have the tech to, become, you know, use enough energy from other places than just oil. It's not feasible. Right. And so we just end up continually not doing anything about the issue. But what is sort of entering the conversation now is the idea of instead of trying to cut our emissions right now, why don't we look at other ways to mitigate the problem? Sort of instead of treating the cause, what are at least some Band-Aid fixes we can put Hmm. on the symptoms? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, for example... What? So what, there's a couple different ones. Some of it is the idea of cooling the planet by shooting a bunch of different aerosols into the atmosphere, sort of creating this barrier. Oh, intro, okay. Or you spray saline mist into clouds, which makes them more white, and then that makes them reflect more sunlight. Away which, from away the planet. Away from the planet, keeping the earth cooler. Things like that. Interesting. Yeah. And so it's- well, Why don't we just all pour a cup of ice- into the ocean. I think that's a that's a good option. <laughs> yeah. That's just my little simple way of thinking about there it. There you go. That's, you know, anything we can all do. Yeah, because we do have a hard time getting people to stop polluting. Mm-hmm. But maybe there are more aggressive ways to to warm the planet. Yeah, and without s- creating more pollution. Exactly. And so what we can do is there. These scientists are saying we need to really look into these as more options and. It's called geoengineering, Hmm. and it's sort of one of those things that's existed a lot in sci-fi up until this point. But people are like, well, we're not making any progress stopping the problem, so let's try and do something else in the meantime. Um, But – you know, it sounds like, wow, this sounds great. It's really cheap. Yeah. It only takes – costs about $5 billion a year um, and you for can, a country you could, to do If it. everybody could donate to these higher tech prov- or, uh, other methods, that might be easier than retrofitting your entire economy. Exactly. Yes. And so like even relatively less financially secure nations would be able to afford this. So like, wow, it's cheap. Uh-huh. You know, we don't have to change our current behavior. What could go wrong? hmm um, there, but there are some concerns that still exist. There's the issues of, well, as soon as we stop, all of a sudden, all that CO2 that we've been still pumping in becomes an even bigger problem. So right. it really is only a good option if we're using it as a thing to buy us time. Yeah, stopgap. Exactly. That, and meanwhile, because think about it, a lot of the economic issue, I mean, it, it is about economics. Mm-hmm. How do you retrofit China to burn cleaner energy? Without destroying China. Yeah. And I mean, same with the U.S., uh, the only country. I mean, first, you know, polluter is China followed right behind by yeah. the U.S. And per capita, the U.S. is actually a lot, right. lot worse. Um, but there's also some other concerns, too. A lot of people look at it the way they look at GMOs in the sense of like, you're messing with nature. Mm-hmm. Not a good idea. Also, one country, you know, implements it here. Well, Air blows this stuff. And so even if you can't isolate it to one area, it's going to affect the whole world if it happens. And there's some trade-offs because it might, you know, cool down the earth as a whole. Too much. Now we've overdone it. Yeah. Well, it may 
you know, be good there, but it might freeze up some Russian ports. Yeah. And so they lose some ports and the monsoon season in India gets messed up and there may be a drought no, in the Midwest. It's so complicated. And so you, you have to be able to really work with all the countries to say, are we willing to work together mm-hmm. and all take some losses in some areas to get this, you know, greater good? And if a country went ahead and did this without the, you know, consensus of all these other nations, you know, there's theorists out there say, you know, that could be the grounds for nuclear war. Oh, yeah. There, yeah, there we go. Now so, we're going to start a whole... But by the way, what would happen with a little nuclear war? That would change the whole it system would, It would cool well. things down real fast. <laughs> nuclear Holy winter. God. It so would. McKenna Baus, thanks for bending our minds the way you do. Um, it's all about learning, folks. That's why we're here, to help you uh, see the good in the world. We'll take a break. Be back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. It's the House of Baus. It's the House of Baus. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, happy uh, walk on your wild side day. This uh, day has Jeff Simpson written all over it. This is the day to call out your inner uh, champion, the part of you that sees the world as no one else can. History is full of those who have utterly changed the world by refusing to be constrained by should-bes. And, hey, good people don't do that. Instead, they've turned their eyes to the sun and gathered their most creative and inspired souls, and they're changing the world. How long can you stare at the sun before you get dizzy and pass out? Once I smell smoke... I know it's time to stop. So I, I always just go by smell. So that's the it's smell my, of your brain frying probably. Well, or some or part your of eyes. my yeah, – probably my corneas. Yeah. <laughs> but I always think to myself, hey, this hurts. I'm going to stop doing it. <laughs> or I smell smoke. Um, today, by the way, walk on your wild side day. It's also grilled cheese sandwich day. Mmm. Uh, somebody let the dog out. Um, the grilled cheese, is, it's like one of my favorite foods. That might be why I have kids. Do you do stuff. anything special or is it just a bread it's and cheese? A bread, a grilled cheese, bread and cheese. Ooh, with a little tomato would be great too. Do you use like special cheese or just like It's got to be sourdough bread. Ooh, sourdough Could bread be. makes it great. Uh, no, I think just American cheese. But All then right. you dip it in a tomato soup oh. or even like a tomato basil soup. Why is it tomato soup? I don't know. That just something about that is a comfort food to me. It means it's raining outside and grandma's tending. <laughs> Not to get personal. What era is this from? The 1930s, <laughs> okay. 1920s. It's an episode uh, of Leave it to Beaver. By the way, melting cheese on top of bread is a concept that has been around since the time of the Romans. But they didn't become super popular till the 1920s, which is when my grandma started making them. Oh, yeah. And so dude, depression food? Yeah, because we had a lot of cheese and you could get sliced bread, right? So then all of a sudden, hey, let's make grilled cheese. And I don't like too much bread. I want a grilled cheese sandwich that you can dip and just I'll take about 50 of them. But I don't want too much cheese either. Don't you? No. What's wrong with you? 
sense. I know my limits. Yeah. I know when I've had too much. Too much cheese, it just it makes me do crazy things. It makes me have kidney stones. I thought it was the Diet Coke. No. It depends who you talk to. Many would say Diet Coke doesn't do that. Maybe it was the tomato soup. Yeah, it's the tomato basil. It'll kill you. Uh, yeah, so happy grilled cheese sandwich day. Also, today we will be talking about the zen of you and me, a guide to getting along with just about anybody. Diane Hamilton will be here uh, uh, actually on the phone with us. She's been on the show before. She's a mediator. She's a sensei, mm. full-on sensei, and is she's, I think, a very inspiring woman, and I'm excited to have her on the show to talk to us about Life. Oh, Jeff's... Do you know what my sensei told me the other day? What? What did your sensei say? Well, just imagine dojo music. Okay. Imagining dojo music. What is dojo music? You don't know dojo music? Not offhand, no. It's... We used to have JoJo music, but yeah. we can't play that anymore. JoJo, 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 So my sensei told me, yeah. seek contentment. Yeah, He used to uh, then tell me some random numbers, but he stopped doing that for some reason. Yeah, because you quit. This is, you got this from a Chinese, from a crack, what are they called? A Chinese fortune cookie. Fortune cookie. <laughs> yeah. you, is that, that's how you used to choose the numbers that you would use for, your, for the lotto? Did you do that? Are you telling me he was giving me lotto numbers? I don't know what the numbers were for. Yeah. But they're, I think they're your lucky numbers. I thought he was giving me the secret of life in number format. Oh, maybe. Yeah. And it's one of those numerology codes that you have to figure out. And then eventually you get to – and you enter the code and then the Holy Grail opens. Right. And Thor's sitting there. I was this close to calling Robert Langdon Where it's the national to decode treasure. it for me. It's the national treasure. You find the constitution that no one knows exists. On the back of the original Constitution. Oh, the, I just want to point out we referenced like a dozen different shows and books right there. Yeah. Well, so it's an overused concept, but it's fine. Uh, some <laughs> would say it's an abused concept or misused. Either way. So much to talk about. We'll get into the Zen of you and me. We all need it here. Um, and also, of course, we'll be talking and, and doing some of the empty news, we call it, the headlines for the Matt Townsend show. In fact, one – is a story about an alleged uh, sausage shoplifter who jumps off of a bridge, and we will be doing a sound check to see which of the five sounds actually was the sound of the sausage shoplifter jumping off a bridge. I don't even know if there's a correct answer. I think it's more of a psychological examination. Yeah, which one in your mind sounds most like somebody that had... It's going to tell us a lot about you. No, that's great. That's great. This will be fun. This will be a lot of fun. So stick with us on that. But first, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country? President Trump declared this week that the United States is not going to war in Syria, despite fears that last week's airstrike may be the first salvo in an escalating conflict. Going into Syria. But when I see people using horrible, horrible chemical weapons, which they agreed not to use under the Obama administration, but they violated it. They said they got rid of them. Hey, look, what I did should have been done by the Obama administration a long time before I did it. And you would have had a much better, I think Syria would be a lot better off right now than it has been. 
The sound there, the interview in a Fox Business News interview. The remarks come as a questions arise around the, con- the consistency in Trump's White House serious strategy. At times, officials have pointed towards military conflict. At other moments, they've suggested the Syrian people will figure out what to do with the Assad regime. So it's nice we now have the president telling us we're not going to war. Okay. Unless next week we do something different. Uh, the president's really more involved than these other presidents. Like he's... He's saying he did more than Obama by bombing, yep. and he tweets nonstop yep. what he's going to do. Absolutely. Okay, good. Yeah, and this morning tweeted more yeah. stuff that people are reacting to at the moment. According to a report in Bloomberg, Secretary of State Tillerson raised a question that surprised European diplomats on Tuesday. Why should U.S. taxpayers be interested in Ukraine? Tillerson reportedly asked the question during a discussion of Russians' intervention in the country at a Group of Seven gathering in Italy. The French foreign minister said that, the respo- that he responded to Tillerson by saying American taxpayers should want a European Union that is strong politically, strong from a security point of view, and strong economically. State Department spokesperson responded to the request for comment from Bloomberg about the remark, saying that it was a rhetorical device. Oh, they're just, yeah, they're just, it's just words. They're just, re- they're just using the words to do to make stuff happen. It's a re- rhetorical device okay, from good. the America First administration. Okay. So <laughs> Europe's a little, little unease with what's going on. Yeah. Overbooking flights, then rebooking passengers to free up space is legal. The Department of Transportation has uh, general guidelines about overbooked flights and how to compensate barred passengers. Europe has a different set of rules entirely. U.S. Airlines bumped 40,000 passengers last year, not counting those who volunteered to give up their seats. Uh, United booted 3,765 people last year. Airline contracts of carriage state that seats are not guaranteed and are written for the airline's convenience, not the passengers. That's what you sign when you agree Ah. to buy a ticket. George, the founder and president of AirfareWatchdog.com, said of U.S. guidelines, in this case, the passenger has no legal rights. Of course, referring to the man that was dragged off the yeah. plane the other day. Yeah. So that's kind of some clarification So there. everybody out there in listener land, remember that, that you have no rights, the seats aren't even for you. Some people are talking about, why didn't the pe- rest of the people that were yelling and uh, that woman that was saying, this is, yeah. what are you doing? Why didn't they stand up and try to stop it? Well, well the second you stand up... You're interfering with the plane, and yeah. the, after 9-11 and right. the security rules, they haul you off the plane. Yeah. Do you mean why didn't somebody just volunteer and say, you know what, I'll take his place? Either that or you know, physically stand up and say, this is wrong, stop doing this. There's just a better way. You than, just pull out your phone and videotape. This is why you put your headset on and you don't even notice any of this is happening. Yeah, you're like, I'll Close just, your eyes. Whatever. Listen to your music. Which is what you your, did when they I were did. dragging the grandma uh-huh. off. That, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, it's when that person got tased right in my lap. Right. Yeah, that was bad. And finally, uh, Dodge unveiled a new muscle car yesterday. Ooh. A 2018 Challenger SR Demon. Ooh, I'm going to look this up because I'm looking for a new car. The Challenger SRT Demon. I think it's called the Demon. Demon. Dodge says that the Demon is the world's fastest production car, able to go from zero to 60 in 2.3 seconds. Whoa. Just beating out the Tesla's Model S sedan. Wow. The Demon can also complete a quarter mile in 9.65 seconds, making it one of the uh, quote-unquote 10-second cars that are so coveted in the Fast and Furious movie franchise. Yes. So you get your car in the movie because it is in the movie. This is all part It's of the outright movie. evil. The Demon's 840 horsepower and 770 pound-feet of torque give it enough power to pop a wheelie. It's a that, lot of horses. That's a lot of torque. 
The car is expected to have a price tag well under $100,000 when it hits the market this fall, with 3000 available in the U.S. and another 300 in Canada. Well, when it says it's well under 100000 <laughs> yeah, is it like... Down to forty thousand. It's like, like ninety nine. It, so that's just a little bit under a hundred thousand. If it was forty thousand, that would be the worst description of it. It's well under a hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> it's a pretty car, but you can tell it could pop a wheelie. Oh yeah, because the back tires are huge, and the front tires are just itty bitty tiny little baby tires. Right, and I bet you in the movie it pops a wheelie. It's demonic. Yeah, they created a car that you probably just can't drive anywhere. It's too fast. Yeah. That's all fun and games till, you know, grandpa's popping wheelies every time he drives to the also, store. Also, earlier in the week, I had a story about a, a, a people who found a bat in a bag of lettuce. Yeah, oh, I love me my right? bat lettuce. A Maryland couple realized they got a little bit more than they paid for when they opened a bag of greens to find a scorpion crawling around Ooh, inside. Oh, boy. They, uh, they purchased their bag of spinach from a uh, grocery store in Chevy Chase, Maryland on Friday when they opened it to make lunch Monday. They noticed the critter moving around. They captured it in a bottle. Um, she recorded it on her cell phone, all that stuff. Six hours later, the grocery store pulled everything off the shelves. And, and she's on the video going, it says triple washed right there on the bag. What does that even mean? <laughs> well, two washes were from humans and one was from the scorpion. scorpion. That, but did you hear the spin that the company was putting on it? No, no, no. That's not our average salad bag. Right. You got the challenge round. That's right. <laughs> you, you have to eat the salad and not get stung by a scorpion. Yeah. The challenge round. So a car too fast to drive and scorpion in your lettuce. <sighs> What's happening to this world? Let's just have grilled cheese sandwich day. Mm. Greatest day ever. Hey, uh, this story totally reminds me of you, Jeff. I don't know why. Uh, an alleged sausage shoplifter jumps off a bridge. A man jumped off a Florida bridge. This took place in Florida, believe it or not. It's interesting. Yes. Weird. On Monday night, while being chased by police officers after he allegedly stole meat from a grocery store, David Randall Bertram, 41, was detained for shoplifting $10.38 worth of summer sausage. Mm. Summer David, sausage. David Randall Bertram sounds like a playwright or something. David Randall Bertram <laughs> yeah, was detained for shoplifting um, – The $10.38 worth of summer sausage. Bertram ran off as he was being escorted to the patrol car outside the store. He was ordered to stop but continued to run across all lanes of traffic on U.S. Highway 98 onto the Brooks Bridge where he then jumped off the bridge to the ground – oh, the ground approximately seven to eight feet below. Wow. So he landed in the ground. I was thinking the whole time he landed in the water. That's kind of what I thought, but yeah. But then you use the the sausage – as a flotation device, right? That would be one way, yeah. Well, do you remember a few years ago, all these thieves were stealing meat. They were like stealing because they were having barbecues and they were like right. a rack of ribs. Now they're stealing the sausage. Mm. The officer, when they got to him, they ordered him to stop and then they used his taser when Bertram refused to stop. Uh, the report said Bertram resisted the first taser burst but mm. was given a second round before he was captured. And once they put him in the car, they said the police officers then ate the nicely toasted sausage. Yes. Taze it. How do you like your sausage cooked? With a taser. I love mine tased. Would you take two tasers in order to get $10.5 worth of sausage? Uh, Where would I have to take the taser? Yeah. Hmm. Remember, the first rule is it's always most important, location. Location. <laughs> if you have to be tased. Location. I bet the first tase actually hit the pork, right? Yep. And then that's what cooked it. And then the second tase got him. 
That would mm. be the that would be the smart way to do it is deflect the taser with the sausage. Just mm. oh yeah, use it like a shield. Yeah. So we're gonna do a little test now. Oh. Um, some sounds of what it might sound like to jump off of a bridge. We have five different scenarios, and I want you in your mind to be thinking. This is this is our ch- our chance to do a little psychological review on you. Which one of these sounds to you? Most like taser or uh, somebody jumping off of a bridge with sausage. And keep in mind, each one of these contains an exertion sound, a falling sound, and an impact sound. Excellent. Followed by the sound that is Which in question. Which one is most real? Ah, <laughs> oh, come on! Mm. Yeah, that didn't seem like that was... I didn't hear the sausage in there. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sausage. Sausage with a very, like, uh, weak casing. Yes. (laughs) Maybe he broke his leg? Or impaled by sausage. Ooh. Uh, That's a bad way to go. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. Those weren't sausages. That was a twist I didn't see coming. That was dynamite. Those were sticks of dynamite. Explosive sausage. And then here's the last one. Please stop that. It's not even food. It doesn't even taste good. Why are you here? Yeah, that was was them jumping off the bridge onto the lady who was mad at the bear for eating her canoe. Kayak. It sounds like sounds like uh, there was an old lady who swallowed a fly yeah. and it just keeps going and yeah. going and going. It got really bad. And then th- then there was a bear that swallowed her kayak. Oh, that's a good story. Um, yeah, it's definitely number two. That's a lot of sausage, which is the rule that we always have on the show. Make sure the casings are really thick. You want a good thick casing, not too thick. It almost sounds like a spray sausage, you know, like a cheese Whiz bottle. Yeah. You know, those were banned. Yeah. Have you ever had cheese sausage whiz? <laughs> no. It sounds really horrible, though. Mm. Oh, good times. We're going to take a break, folks. When we come back, Diane Hamilton will be with us talking about her book, The Zen of You and Me, A Guide to Getting Along with Just About Anyone. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, one of the uh, fun things that I've been learning a lot about lately is this idea called high sensitive, highly sensitive people. And highly sensitive isn't like what Jeff thought it meant, which just meant he cries a lot. It's not that, Jeff. No, it's not that. High sensitivity is... um... Okay. You're okay, Jeff. Come on, pal. Come on, buddy. There you go. Uh, I just uh, gave him some sausage in some thick casing so he doesn't break it when he falls. Um, Highly sensitive people are about 20% of the population. There's a book out called The Highly Sensitive Person by a woman named Elaine Aaron. And she believes that um, what this sensitivity may be is a precursor to people that have anxiety. So as we talk uh, with people that are anxious – a lot of times they end up um, they end up 
if you ask them, what is it that makes you so anxious? They can't explain it. They just know they get really upset. They get really angry. They get really frustrated. Um, they, you know, there's just a point where they've had it. And we see it a lot in our children where we think, holy cow, oh boy, we, you know, we crossed that point of no return because we, we brought our kids home too late and now they're throwing fits and having problems and all of these things. But one of the things, uh, to, to really be thinking about is if you notice that smells bother you, that light bothers you, that um, heat bothers you, like a lot, not just a little, but like you can't sit there and go to the beach because you hate the texture of the ground or you you hate the sweat rolling down your back, then you may be a highly sensitive person. And you don't – and what that ends up doing is it it ends up making you feel like you're losing your mind, right? Like you're going crazy. Why is it that when I have to go grocery shopping, I am so frustrated by the time I'm done? Don't think you're crazy. You might just be – starting to get overwhelmed because you're picking up so much data as you go shopping. Usually people that are high sensitives get cranky because they haven't eaten uh, or if they get when they're tired, it, it makes life even worse for them. So just know that if, if all of a sudden the little things tend to bother you, that little tiny pebble in your shoe, you are the person that no matter what, you have to stop the minute it's there. If the temperature is irritating, if it's too bright when you go outside and you notice that, if you tend to get a lot of headaches, if you feel um, like you tend to react pretty quickly to things, don't despair. Just go online and start looking up the words, the highly sensitive person. And and, uh, again, the book is by Elaine Aaron, the highly sensitive person. Um, and go see. Just to take a test. There's a little quiz she has on her um, on her website, and you can come. Uh, you, you can then evaluate if you're a highly sensitive person, and then all of a sudden, it might explain why you feel a little more anxious about doing certain things, going in certain crowds. Anyway, interesting learnings. We'll take a break, my friends. Come back when we come back. Diane Hamilton will be joining us, talking about her book, The Zen of You and Me. Stick with us. Whether it's a coworker, a family member, or a stranger, sometimes we allow others to rattle and upset us. But the people who get under your skin the most can, in fact, be your greatest teachers. Our next guest argues it's not a matter of overlooking differences, as is often thought, but of regarding those dif- those difficult aspects of the relationship with curiosity, compassion for those uh, very differences are the path to a deeper connection, a more profound connection. Joining us uh, is mediator and author Diane Musho Hamilton. She joins us today to talk about her book, The Zen of You and Me, A Guide to Getting Along with Just About Anyone. And Diane's been on the show before. Diane, thank you so much for being with us. It's a pleasure, Matt. I'm I, happy to be here. I, I love what you're doing. I've, I, I, we're in the same city, and I hear a lot about your great uh, mediation and dialogue work. So when I saw this book, I thought, okay, we got to... We got to bring on Diane and let her teach us about the Zen of you and me. Um, now, talk. I mean, Zen, it, Buddhism. Talk about this is a big. This is a big movement in the world. A lot of people are are catching the power of Zen. Try to explain it to just the average person. Well, at the at the heart of Zen practice is really um, meditation, and mindfulness meditation is kind of 
all the rage, as you're pointing out, just because people and uh, science itself is really starting to see the benefits of meditation to our well-being. I mean, it really helps lower levels of stress. It improves our powers of concentration. It opens us up to greater states of happiness. And so I think uh, people are starting to see that all of this, particularly this time with so much speed of mind and our devices and technology and media, that we all need time to just quiet down and, and in a certain way just give our nervous system a rest. Oh, so, so meditation is at the heart of Zen. And you're saying, I mean, you're a practitioner. You're not, you're you you're a practitioner not just of Zen and um, but of of mediation of uh, facilitation and, and helping mm-hmm. people communicate. Um, mm-hmm. So, so do you actually? How do you incorporate this kind of Zen spiritual state into a daily practice of communicating and relating? Yeah, well, interestingly enough, mediation and meditation have the same root. And both those processes, both the practice of meditation, of sitting down, quieting the body, quieting the mind, we're kind of creating um, unity. You know, because we're very divided in our lives. You know, we're thinking this while we're doing that and we're going here while we're preparing to go there. So when we sit down and quiet down, we just become more integrated and more whole. And when we're more whole and we're functioning with that kind of, um, uh, what's the word, like um, coherence is a good word. When we function with that kind of coherence, um, life is just simpler and it's easier. Well, uh, mediation is the same thing. We take parties that are disputing who have disagreements, who are divided, and then they come together and we work to um, bring people into agreement and to bring people to shared understanding. And so basically what I'm trying to do with my book is I'm trying to show people how you can, you can learn to bring um, the, the relationships that you're engaged with into more coherence. And we do that by including the differences not by getting rid of them. That's mm. the important point. Yeah. Is that a kind of a universal problem or paradigm that we have as as humans is to kind of dichotomize everything? It seems like we put everything at odds with each other mm-hmm. when in reality, paradox can exist and it can all go together. Yeah, that's right. I mean, one of the one of the interesting things that we're starting to learn about, of course, is the evolution of the brain. And we know that that our prefrontal cortex, which came much later in our evolution and allows us to think and to use language, that the very the very capacity to think about something or to compare this to that means that we it's our our analytic mind uh, that helps us you know sort of make discriminations. But when we make those discriminations, lots of times we have like really powerful value judgments. So this is good and that's bad. I like this. I don't like that. I'm right, you're wrong, so that we kind of proceed through life creating much more division than maybe sometimes we're aware of. Mm. And division, that one of the things I talk about is that the, the body registers unity or sameness or coherence differently than it registers difference. So when we're in a state of relaxation and we feel kind of one with our environment and we feel like we belong and there's coherence, you know, we probably have, you know, like maybe a little bit of oxytocin in the brain, some serotonin or dopamine, more feel-good chemicals. But when differences arise, it's very wired into our, um, our old fight-or-flight. 
And so what we get is we get a cocktail of stress hormones. So as soon as we sense difference, we start to experience adrenaline. If that difference persists and it starts to become perceived as a threat, then we're going to feel cortisol in the body. So whenever a difference arises, we don't like how it feels because our body is preparing Mm. us to kind of defend ourselves. So we have to kind of start to learn about that. Otherwise, we just react to the feeling and either withdraw or end up in a fight. So it really takes a lot of skill to start to realize, oh, if I'm going to hear about your differences, I have to tolerate these different sensations in my body. And you're saying that's a learned behavior. Yeah, totally learned behavior, because the old evolution is basically telling us to move away from difference. We were more likely to be hurt by, you know, another unfamiliar human being than a predator in nature in our history. So we're really, really sensitive to difference. And as you can see, all you have to do is look at the political climate right now. There's a lot going on around. I mean, a lot of the the problems that we have are related to religious differences or cultural differences. And, you know, so there's this big dialogue back and forth about people who want to kind of tolerate more difference and other people who are saying, no, we need to put boundaries up and keep the difference away. It's uh, it's such a true thing. I've never thought of it as the chemistry. It's basically this this kind of automatic chemistry yeah. of of the difference that we see as a threat. And then I guess our own internal interpretation mm-hmm. of that, we, we might then go off on other fears we have, other threats it could be, that, and it seems more personal to us. Yeah, that's right. It, it's sort of like it's, it's a little bit of like a perpet, perpetual kind of collapse in a way because what happens is that there's a feedback loop, so I have a thought, oh, there's a difference, and then that heightens my adrenaline and my defensive kind of fight-or-flight system, and then that experience of the fight-or-flight reinforces this doesn't feel good to me, something must be wrong, I need to defend myself, and so the body and mind start getting into a loop with each other. So you have to kind of, you have to quiet the mind with the thoughts, and then you have to, like, use your breath and, like, you know, stay present to what's going on so that you don't just end up in that, you know, perpetual response. Hmm. And... Um, I mean, it works. We know this works, maybe not in kind of the meditative approach, but we like um, I have a brother in law that is a, is a doctor and performs mm-hmm. a lot of procedures on people. But when he was mm-hmm. 16 years old and he went, went in a procedure with his father and his father, it's a weird story, but squirted some blood on him. He passed mm-hmm. out. He had a physiological mm-hmm. response to a situation. And now that same boy man now can go in and do incredible surgeries with blood everywhere. Um, So I I guess we can can adjust our brains to do this. I I guess my concern, not concern, but the weird thing is it's the timing of it. Like it seems like meditation takes so much time, but Mm -hmm. but when my wife starts calling me out on something, my fight Mm -hmm. or flight amygdala wants to crush her immediately. Well, totally. That's the thing. So how do we get the Zen into the moment Mm-hmm. Does that just from our history, or is is it our past that becomes present? How does that work? Well, I think I think that the fact that we're talking about it and we notice it is sort of the first step. Like for your listeners, just to say that you know you have a particular response to conflict or to difference. You might be an avoider. You might be a person who tries to smooth it out and make it better. You might be a fighter. But that's basically an evolutionary response to a, an old um, signaling function in your brain. And that you're, you, you have the capacity to bring your attention into the moment, 
which is the same as meditation. You bring your attention to the here and now. You stay present. And as you learn to do that, you can actually start to create new patterns of response. Now, you're absolutely right that it takes time. I mean, these things are so uh, hardwired. And, 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 you know, the beautiful thing about nature is these responses are immediate. They're quick. It's like we react right away. But it's not really what you do. It's just what you do next in the next moment. Can you find a way to stay present? Can you find a way to, to calm yourself? Can you find a way to remember, oh, there might be something about this difference that's actually good or interesting, and I don't necessarily have to uh, protect myself. I don't necessarily have to prevail. There might be a way I could even be curious. You know, and mm-hmm. once we once we start to see that happening, all of a sudden we're in a we're in a different possibility. And 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 uh, learn to sit in the space. That's what I learned mm-hmm. as a mediator is when people hate each other. Because I had taught c- communication skills and conflict resolution skills for years, and then when I became a mediator and actually had to sit in the space of the tension, it's a whole different yeah. ball game than all these theories, right? Now all of a it's sudden... It's a whole different ball game because your body is completely evolved to want to get you out of the right, room. Right, right. And it doesn't matter if it's your fight or somebody else's, it's the same. And you know? But it's amazing, Diane, after days and years of it, um, you don't even... It doesn't even scare me. Like it doesn't even. It's now you can just. It, it's actually now you're like the surgeon. Uh huh. Tolerate blood now. Yeah. And there's a weird piece in that same tense space, and I guess it's because I've changed. Yeah, and you know yourself better, and you've gotten used to what those feeling states are like, and you know there's a possibility of people working it out, and you, you've had enough experience now that you know there's a good outcome that's available. When we first start doing this, we've never had good experiences with people working it through, so we just tend to go into avoidance modes. But what, what we're learning is humans are learning how to actually meet each other in their differences and work them through, or learn how to live with them without just simply... Um, pushing them away. Love it. You know what? Let's take a break, Diane. We'll come back. I want to get into some of the the principles while we're in that space. How we remain curious. You have some. The, the book is it's wonderful because it's it's small, it's handy, and it's very direct to the principle. So we'll come back more with Diane Hamilton and her book, The Zen of You and Me: A Guide to Getting Along with Just About Everyone. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Joined on the line by Diane uh, Musho Hamilton. She's a gifted facilitator, mediator, spiritual teacher, author of the book The Zen of You and Me, a guide to getting along with just about anyone. Diane, thank you again for being with us. My pleasure, Matt. So do you believe, um, and I mean I do, um, do you believe that you really could find a way to get along with just about anyone? Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, think so. It may, maybe getting along just means accepting that at a really deep level that you can't really be very close to somebody or you can't necessarily go into business with someone, but you can kind of find it, find some peace in yourself with letting them be who they are. Yeah. And it's also, like you were saying, this is, uh, this is kind of your spiritual journey, right? Every human interaction is a journey really about you and in you. 
Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I think in in my life, I I had a very feisty family, very expressive, loving, but also, you know, we would conflict a lot. And I think I, I kind of just wanted to learn in life how I could maintain the authenticity and the passion of my family, but then be able to, to transmute it so that we weren't, you know, getting into unnecessarily, uh, you know, moments of being alienated. It's like uh, I, w- I don't want the conformity where we, we all agree that we're never going to conflict because it doesn't feel very deep or very real. On the other hand, I also want a certain amount of peace and comfort. So that's really been my kind of lifelong quest is how to maintain the heart, the passion, the authenticity with the people I love and at the same time be able to, um, you know, really feel at home and like we love each other. Mm. I use uh, I talk about ego a lot in some of my work as well. Talk about mm-hmm. ego and how it divides us and what is the ego. It's not we always just kind of think of it as, you know, being cocky or arrogant. But what what mm-hmm. is the ego? Well, the ego is really, I mean, it's it's spoken about, you know, in different ways, but, but in the work that I do, the ego is really our self-concept. It's the idea we have about ourselves. So, um, you know, it may be that, uh, you know, I think of myself as a very neat and orderly person, and I keep getting feedback from my wife or my, I'm sorry, my husband or my partner that, you know, I'm sloppy, but my idea is that I'm neat. And so when I get this feedback that I'm you know, that I'm actually not, then I I feel defensive and I have to, like, defend my self-image. And so we go around protecting our self-image a lot of times, and that is a form of difference. The ego is a form of difference because it's really difficult for me to relax, you know, my uh, perspective on myself. And so I'm often in very subtle ways defending my idea of who I am, when in fact if I could just relax it and open to the fact that in some ways I'm neat and in some ways I'm not – then there, you know, there wouldn't be that division between me and my partner. Hmm. And I, that's, I guess, the the overarching goal of the ego is to be in control and to maintain itself. Absolutely, yeah. to maintain the idea of itself. You know, if it, if we think about athletics, you know, when you're imagine for a moment that you're playing in the NBA, you know, mostly when you're in the in the middle of a game, you're playing at such a high level, you can't be thinking about yourself. You just have to be executing. You know, if you make a great shot and there's a a few minutes when you're headed to the other end of the floor, you can maybe have your moment of glory and think, oh, I did that really well. But mostly we can't perform at a high level when we have that self-orientation because it cuts us off from what's happening. Um, And yet we get into these habits of just like creating an image that then we spend all of our time defending and it's really a waste of energy. It's one way to think about it. Well, that's a great way to think about it. And so a lot of our, our... The minute I guess we're falling into this competitive nature, like mm-hmm. even like LeBron James, when he's heading down the court, he's not thinking, I'm going to now competitively drive on my opponent. No, he's just naturally all. acting yeah. and reacting to the situation. Yeah. And if he can feed his team and get a better shot, he'll do that. If he can, if he can use his teammate to help get a better shot for himself, he'll do that. You're saying the minute, though, we start getting into our own concepts and 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 almost uh, becoming more competitive, being more offended, um, having yeah. these very personal experiences, you've probably drifted back into the ego. Yeah, and we're, we're no longer in the game. We're yeah. in an idea we have about ourselves, and we're using our life force and our energy to defend really just a kind of an image and a mirage, when really we could extend our, our, our attention outward and, and be much more effective. 
Isn't that and powerful? We, and we all know what it's like. We, we know what it's like to be in contact with people that spend a lot of energy substantiating their egos and people who are relatively free of it. Yeah. And it's a different, it's a, it's a different experience for everyone. Yeah. Yeah, totally. That's an, it's an interesting way to say it, substantiating their ego, but making mm-hmm. it, uh, adding to its substance. So I guess this is what a lot of the Zen uh, leaders or gurus would say is that your goal is to become... Um, they call it mindful, but really mm-hmm. mindless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just. This, I mean, we need we need enough ego to, uh, you know, care about our well-being and our hygiene and stay focused around our life purpose. Just enough to maintain ourselves, but beyond that, it really is. It really uh, sucks life from us. Boy, it does. And um, give us some other principles. What are some things we should be doing just as we engage, like maybe as we know we're going to grandma and grandpa's house and Uncle Larry's going to be there who we think is this (laughs) egomaniacal guy that's always making me feel less than. What do I do there? How do I, how do I, what are some principles I could remember as I go into that situation? Well, I mean, particularly as it pertains to family, I think the first thing is really just to kind of clarify, clarify our, our intention. And even the people that we don't get along with very well, just remember that there's a way that we can be for each other. You know, that I can be for Uncle Larry, even if I can't be in a long conversation with him, I can basically find a way to, you know, wish him the best. So I think that intention makes a big difference. And then one of the most important communication skills, and I'm sure you teach about this all the time, Matt, is listening. Yeah. Because being able to listen, we give other people the experience that they've been heard and that they're valued. And when you bring listening skills to a situation and you actually empty yourself, hear what someone else has to say, you don't confuse listening with agreement, but you just are generous to give your attention to someone else's perspective, that has a very soothing impact on the environment. Yeah. And and another way of saying it is you're willing to kind of become the same as that person for a few minutes. Mm. And yeah, so that would be so being having a clear intention, using your listening skills and being respectful of other people's points of view, and then occasionally taking the risk to just say, is it okay if I express my point of view for a few minutes? And then being willing to say what's really true for you. And if there's a difference, just letting that difference be okay. We don't have to see the world the same way. Mm-hmm. And I can, yeah, I can still... I can. I don't have to agree with everything you you mm-hmm. think. I I can still have my intent of being one with you, just yeah, but exactly. different. Yeah, yeah, that's right. One and different. That's really. It's like I, I like to tell my students sometimes. You think of it this way: humans develop through difference. So, you know, you're born into a family, and you're the same as your family. And when you get to be 13 or 14 years old, suddenly, you know, you're finding yourself being different. Or if you're a parent who's listening to this, you'll notice that your teenagers now don't stand next to you on the street corner. They stand two or three feet away. That's the healthy process of differentiation. So they're becoming autonomous, differentiated um, people. And it's hard on parents because we love that togetherness so much, but we have to see that it's a healthy process. And then if our kids keep developing, pretty soon they do what's called reintegration, where they come back towards the family, but now it's a little more complex because they're the same and they're different. They're no longer just the same as the family, nor are they completely different, but they're both functioning in this sameness and in this difference. And that's a, a healthier, more complex state. 
That is so true. And we, we're so mad that they keep trying to not want to be with us. And then when yeah. they come back, we keep pretending like they are exactly the same, even though not. they aren't. And that's so no. frustrating for them. Right. And that's healthy human development. Yeah. That's what that is. Yeah. That's just, that's just, yeah, that's normal. Um, what would you, one of the things uh, I, I know that is a big part of uh, meditation, and, and this is it's just a word, but the word I know has such profound meaning, and I think with your background, you're, you'd be the perfect teacher of it. What is namaste? Uh, namaste is a, is a, I believe it's a Sanskrit word. It comes from India, and namaste is basically a greeting in which uh, your, your essential nature or your divine nature that's not different, we all come from the same source, so when I say namaste, I'm recognizing that divine source in you is the same as in me. It's mm. a greeting where we're, where we're meeting each other in, in the sameness of our divinity. Which is, again, if we, if we can find any fellowship on the earth in each other, it's in that. Exactly. Yeah, it's not, we, we have to transcend our individual differences, we have to transcend our cultural differences, and we have to feel into that place in which we're ultimately the same. And, you know, people who are, who have kind of deep spiritual practices, this is not an unfamiliar thing. They understand that. That's powerful. And again, that's such a different spirit. And I think that spirit then changes the tone. It changes your intentions. It changes your curiosity about the other. Because everyone's just on their own journey. That's right. Absolutely. And there, there, there's a point in human development, if I, if I, speak a little bit more about healthy human development, where differences in, in religion can feel threatening in the way that I've been talking about. Yeah. But then we reach a point where we realize, oh, these are all just different expressions of the same um, source, so that we're no longer afraid of those differences, we're curious about them. So there's a moment where we actually become genuinely more tolerant of others. Now, people who are fundamentalists, and people who are jihadists, let's say, are not able to cope with the differences in others. Yeah. That's why they're, they're warring. But there's the people who can, you know, are, are, you could say they have more capacity for complexity. Love it. No, that's it. And that's, that's, how, that's how we transcend humanity. We appreciate you. Diane Hamilton's her name. Go get the book, The Zen of You and Me. A guide to getting along with just about everyone. Go check out her website as well, dianemushohamilton.com. Great human being and a great, uh, just a great gift to this world. We'll take a break, folks. Come back. Remember, this is the Matt Townsend Show, your guide on the side, helping you be the good in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hour number three of the program, if you happen to have missed the, the first two hours, you're going you're gonna to want to go get those. They were keepers. And... All you got to do is go to byuradio.org uh, or iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher. We're everywhere. Just look up the Matt Townsend Show, and you can you can learn everything you need to learn. Today, we'll be talking about bringing uh, uh, replaying an interview I did with Aleka Thorvalson about why we need to cry more. And I think Terry, this was more for you. <laughs> Jeff cries all the time. Yeah. 
Like right now he's crying and he doesn't even need to. But, you know, sometimes people need a good cleansing cry. Yeah, they do. And so we'll get into why it's so healthy and important. Mm. We'll also visit our good brethren at BYU Sports Nation, find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. I'm going to see if they're still doing their show because I've been gone a day. They were, I I should add, they were very grateful that I didn't ask them if they were putting on their show yesterday when I was hosting. They They said, thank you. Did they say that? Thank you for not asking. Yeah. But it, it, I think it's good to ask because they could be replaced with a cooking show at any point. You don't know. Yeah. When all of a sudden everyone gives up on BYU sports and they just want cooking. Cooking with Kiko. So instead of, it could be like, you know, cooking with Cosmo. They bring in just the, the cougar mascot. Have Could, them run around. I know, but would you eat anything that Cosmo made? No, I just... All that fur in your yeah, food? If you made gross. some cougar tails, I might try that. What's a cougar tail? No, I'm just kidding. I know exactly. <laughs> it's a maple bar that's about the length of a cougar tail. Right? I, I keep telling... I keep saying them, but I don't know who them is. I keep saying, though, that they ought to add bacon to it, and they could charge like $2 more. I, I think I know who some of them are, mm. and I might drop that. As an idea. Okay. If you get any kind of compensation, though, you're splitting it with me. Sure. That he'd, could, have to, he'd have to let you know. That could happen. Yeah. Uh, we'll get to all of that fun, plus, of course, our hero of the day. And we will be enlightening you, believe it or not, about a South Florida man that steals three TVs and then tries to make a daring getaway on a bicycle. Really? Yeah. It seems like not the best way to... To steal three TVs. And not the kind of thing that would come out of Florida either. That's Weird. not the Florida I know and love. <laughs> the Florida you know and love was the guy that stole the sausage and then jumped off of a bridge. Yeah. No, this one's different. Well, meat's expensive there, so you got to sympathize. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Plus, how about having four brothers, four quadruplets accepted? All of them were accepted to Ivy League schools. It's a big deal. And their parents will never retire. So think about it. Some are going to go to Harvard, Yale, maybe Stanford. It's a big deal. It's a lot of moo. Yeah, the parents are going to be destitute. Their life is over. What do you do? Plus then all the fighting and the infighting and the rivalries between these Ivy Leaguers. And then who can be more haughty? It's tough. Tough stuff. All of that ahead. But first to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country? In an interview with the New York Post on Tuesday, President Trump appeared hesitant to fully back White House Chief Strategist Steve Bannon as the latter has apparently been badmouthing Trump's son-in-law and advisor Jared Kushner. Trump was asked if he still has confidence in Bannon and said, yes, I like Steve, but you have to remember he was not involved in my campaign until very late. I had already beaten all the senators and all the governors and I didn't know Steve. I'm, a, I'm my own strategist. And it, was, it wasn't it was like I was going to change strategies because I was facing crooked Hillary, he added. Uh, Steve is a good guy, but I told them to straighten it out or I will. When he's referring to their wow. inter-office situation that's been going on, allegedly. That, Why did he have to throw in the crooked Hillary Because jab? he always does. He did it today. He talked about, on Twitter, he was talking about Hillary Clinton and how he beat him, beat her in the election. Yeah. He he's, knows he won, right? This is day 88 of his, of his presidency. In a Fox Business News interview, Trump talked about his first 100 days. We have done so much for so many people. I don't think that there is a presidential 
period of time in the first 100 days where anyone's done nearly what we've been able to do. And on top of it, we just had, during the first 100 days, a Supreme Court justice approved, not just nominated, but approved, approved through a very, but very hostile environment. Changed the rules. I right. thought he said Dory there for a second. He may have. They watched that about 100 times. I think. <laughs> his favorite show. Reports last week from Politico had 30 White House staff members gathering to brainstorm how to spend the first 100 days. Staffers included Counselor Kellyanne Conway were broken into three groups complete with whiteboards, markers, and giant butcher block types paper to brainstorm lists of early successes. Okay. Because apparently you can't just think of them off the top of your head. You have to brainstorm well, these things. It's one tough. thing, apparently, he's spending more money on travel Yes, that he's he's on a record pace to beat Barack Obama he's gonna in out, one year. outspend Obama's eight years in the first year. I mean, that's yeah. noteworthy. Uh, polit- uh, this in, uh, also in Politico, one aide who attended this meeting said it made me feel like I was back in fifth grade with, with the butcher block paper. Another attendee described the session as an attempt to rebrand for the president who has been plagued by shakeups, legal blockades, legal uh, legislative setbacks, including the failed repeal and replacement of Obamacare, which was supposed to happen the first day. Yeah, but it's still, it's going to happen. It's just, it just takes some time. Except they, they're still talking, but still not finding any headway. The Department of Justice on Tuesday instructed prosecutors to crack down on undocumented immigrants who commit crimes, directing employees to step up criminal immigration ref- enforcement. The Justice Department will add 50 immigration judges this year, 75 next year. This according to Attorney General Jeff Sessions. He said this during a speech to Customs and Border Protection agents in Arizona. We uh, mean criminal organizations that turn cities and suburbs into war zones that kill innocent citizens, uh, Sessions said, according to prepared remarks. It is here on this sliver of land where we will first take our stand against this filth. Wow. Yeah, strong words from Beauregard. Yeah. Uh, Some airlines make as much money selling miles to credit card companies as they do selling seats to passengers, according to Bloomberg. Big credit card companies buy miles by the billions for 1.5 to 2.5 cents a piece and then hand them out to their customers whenever they make purchases with an airline-branded card. People who use airline cards typically have high incomes and high credit scores, which benefit the credit card companies. Meanwhile, major airlines can make significant amounts of profit by selling miles to big banks as well as car rental firms and hotels. At America Airlines, the largest carrier in the U.S., airline miles now account for more than half of all their profits. Oh, yeah. It's a crazy business. I didn't know. I didn't realize that it was... Okay, that's interesting, but that's a great way. They're they're just selling to the credit card companies all of these seats. Who then use it as a benefit to get people to use their credit card more. Smart move. And finally, uh, chocolate bunnies. Easter's this Sunday, just just so you're prepared, Mm -hmm. Matt. When you get a chocolate bunny... Mm -hmm. What's the first part of the bunny that you consume? I, I'm an ear person. Okay. I like to take off one of the rabbit ears. Mm-hmm. And then, if it, you know, depending, I might, you know, go for the other ear because, you know, let's, be, let's make it fair. Okay. And then I like to nibble on the face. All right. Jeff? Oh, the face is the first thing to go. The face. Because I don't want it to look me in the eyes as I'm eating it. Right. It's kind of a weird yeah. situation. According to this survey of 28,000 people, 58% said they eat the ears first. 33% indicate they had no starting point preference, and 4 indicated that they start with the tail or the feet. Now, why would you start at that end? I don't know. Maybe you feel— Their feet are lucky. I, I try to keep the feet as long as I can. Maybe maybe that's why they do it first, because they yeah. want the luckiest part first. I didn't think about it looking at me, but now I'm— I think I'm going to take the face off now. Yeah. It's a great it's a great approach. 
I'm always just disappointed that they're hollow inside. They should yeah. be should solid. Be, yeah, 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 solid block of bunny chocolate. Yeah. Oh, we're talking chocolate. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Mm. Not, not real bunnies. Oh, I've, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I thought we were talking real bunnies. Though apparently there is an uptick in sale of bunnies at butcher shops. Why? Because people have rabbit on Easter. Why? <laughs> because they think <laughs> it's funny. That's wrong. <laughs> they think it's funny. It's the Easter bunny. Let's eat a rabbit. That is horrible. And it tastes like chicken, apparently. That's going to cause all sorts of psychological damage to the kids that are at that dinner table. Yeah. Mommy, <laughs> what is this? It's chicken. I was asking my son. I go, so what do we get at Easter? And he goes, Easter eggs. And I go, where do they come from? The Easter bunny. And I go, well, where do eggs come from? He goes, chickens. And I go, shouldn't there be an Easter chicken, not an Easter bunny? Yeah, he that's goes, weird. No, he goes, you're doing it wrong. It's an Easter bunny. And I yeah. go, but where did, and so we just kept going through that logic yeah. exercise. I agree with he's him, He's very though. confused. I'm on his side, I think. Um... Because if, if, it, if it follows, <laughs> the only thing we should have left over from a bunny would be like a Whopper. Well, I don't know if you've ever had a bunny, but they leave a lot more than that. Well, yeah, but if they're going to leave something that's fun, it would be more of a, a malted ball of some kind rather than an egg. That's why I don't like Whoppers. <laughs> I've never liked Whoppers. I love Whoppers. Oh, goodness. Okay, so South Florida man decides to steal three TVs. Yeah. Very common story. Sure. But then he tries to make a daring getaway on a bicycle. Hmm. Authorities in Deerfield Beach, Florida, are trying to find a man caught on surveillance tape. Um, I think the music is giving him too much credit. <laughs> Go ahead. <Yeah. laughs> Can't you just see him on his bike? He's stealing three TVs using his bicycle. The, caught on surveillance tape, according to the county sheriff's office, cameras recorded the man chasing the house uh, or casing a house at night before he came back with his bike the next day, and then he broke in. So these aren't okay. This wasn't like at a store. Yeah, this is at a home. Because if they were in boxes, you could stack them up and maybe bungee right. cord them. Yeah. But yeah. Finally, someone found a use for a beanbag chair. Exactly. The deputy said the thief used the homeowner's wagon and beanbag chair to cover, um, uh, beanbag chair cover, not the chair, just the cover. Oh, wow. To help him in the getaway. So he put him in the wagon, I guess, and then pulled the wagon with his bike. Maybe put the cover over. And then put the cover over. Huh. And he should have left the beans in there and to protect the TVs, right? That's good living right there. Uh, again, a, a, a thief that didn't quite think it through, maybe. Maybe plan ahead, find a car or uh-huh. a, a truck of some kind. Maybe he has a friend with a truck that could have helped. And he didn't know that he was being you know, watched on video. Well, that too. Boy. These good, kids. A, good effort, though. Is, was it? Sort of. I mean, he tried. Yeah. We'll give him an A for effort. There was an amount of effort given. Was it good? Was it half effort? But it was still an amount of some sort. Um, do you remember buying your wife's engagement ring? I do. Do you remember that being – I remember that being the most expensive thing I had ever purchased. Absolutely. Well, I had paid tuition at college, so. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but the dreams, the memories. Right. I didn't think I'd go here. I uh, said I have this much money, nothing past this point, please. Oh, you, you did? Yeah. I just said, what will make you happy enough to marry me? And she said, ooh. Well, the jeweler was like, so what about this ring? And I went, why does the ring cost so much? And the diamond, I mean, in comparison to the diamond, the diamond is the important part. You'd think right? so, huh? Yeah. And so you're like, let's back off on the ring. Let's improve the diamond. Let's get a really good diamond. Perfect. There you go. Do and it the, that way. Yeah. 
I said, what do I need to do to get you into this marriage today? <laughs> yeah, you learned that when you were a used car salesman, right? That was really good. She fell for it. The 30-year-old Atlanta man, William Oliver, recently started a GoFundMe page to raise $15,000 to buy his girlfriend an engagement ring. So he's asking others yeah. to pay for the ring. Oliver says he was inspired to make a big show of his love for his girlfriend after she bought him 30 gifts for his 30th birthday. So then why isn't he using his own money? Oliver says crowdfunding is a chance to let everybody who loves us show us how much you love us. Wow. That way he can buy a ring that we all, all of us, There's some logic. can be proud of. Right. Like, father-in-law, how much do you love your daughter? Pony up a couple grand. Elite Daily, which rounds up a handful of the many incredulous Twitter reactions to Oliver's fundraising attempt, accuses him of taking the easy way out when it comes to saving up for the ring. And Refinery29 says the fundraiser is slightly inappropriate, especially because a decent ring can be uh, had for way cheaper than 15 grand. In fact, the Macon Telegraph reports the average engagement ring in 2016 cost $6,163. Wow. That's a lot of love right there. Prices have gone up, it seems. By the way, it's less than half of what Oliver's asking for. So what's going on, Oliver? Yeah. What are you doing? Half-stepping on the ring there? Yeah. And you're, you dare ask everyone else. Plus, you have to tell the story. When your wife-to-be shows off the ring, her friends need to actually see the diamond. She can't just like, see that little, little speck right there? Yeah. It's the diamond. As of March 28th, uh, his ad has has been shared with more than 12,000 people, and his GoFundMe page has raised less than $600. Yeah. Not a, not a process people are going to get behind. So I guess you give him an A for effort and a D for morality. Like, yeah. you're, you want us to do this? Come on, man. Yeah. Step up. Step up. Take, man up. Get a loan. He's probably going to ask people to pay for the divorce, too. Yeah, well... <laughs> Can you go fund my divorce? Oh, Jeffrey. Well, I'm just saying because Jeffrey. when the marriage starts out with other people paying for it, mm. it's probably going to end that way, too. Yeah. Wow. Deep thought. Yeah. I think you told me that once in I one of our sessions. I totally did, yeah. Yep. That's right when you fell off the couch. I remember. Yeah. We'll get to that fun. Hey, let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about why we need to cre- why we need to cry more. Are you one that can cry? Let those tears out, folks. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, sometimes you just need a good cry. Other times you're just mad. Your emotions take so many different, uh, you know, pathways to get through your body and out of your body. But your emotions are teaching you something. They're telling you something. Whether it's whether it's crying and uh, you know your need to cry every once in a while and get those feelings out, or just dealing with your fears, dealing with uh, what's going on inside of you. We wanted to bring in an expert that could help all of us, to better uh, manage and look at our emotions. Um, Aleka Torvalson is joining us. She is um, a, a, a contributor to the Huffington Post and a professionally certified and credentialed life strategies coach, and uh, she is helping us to understand our emotions. Aleka, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thank 
you. Thank you for having me. I look forward to being here. You bet. Great to have you. And I mean, emotions, they're, they're there for a reason, right? They're, they're, they're a guide. They're, they're teaching us how to handle ourselves, aren't they? Yeah, you know, it's funny because we have these things called feelings all the time. <laughs> Don't make day, me think day. about it. Yeah. Yeah, and we, we do. And so, but what are they, you know, these things that we call feelings, and do they actually have a purpose? And when I ask uh, my clients or groups or certainly myself, you know, way many years ago, I, I knew I had feelings. I could name the feelings, but I didn't quite know what to do with them. Yeah. You know, and so I think many of us may not have a clear sense of maybe what we're feeling, but if we've gotten that far, um, how, how we deal with these feelings and how these feelings can actually be really useful, even those so-called, and I'm using air quotes, bad feelings like shame, jealousy, anger, anxiety, even boredom, you know, those, those negative feelings, those too can actually be useful. Well, and I guess that's the key is we might think that uh, we don't want to deal with the feelings. Some of us actually, not me, but some think that they that feelings don't matter. They can actually cut them out of their life. But you can't, right? Because feelings are so deeply connected to your thinking. It's true. Conscious I mean, or subconscious, I, right? It, absolutely. And I think you, you could. I like to say, you know, you, you can make that choice to sort sure. of live in that logical mind. But you would be living with half your compass. You know, it's, it's not necessarily to your benefit because the feelings give us really important information about our life. If we're living without that sense, then we're sort of living uh, with, with half our, our, our direction. Hmm. And, yeah. And, yeah. So, and you, so, yeah, you'd have half of the experience of life. Yeah. And so it's really important to ask ourselves the why. You know, why perhaps we have feelings. And there's many, many um, you know, theories about where they come from and what they are. But for me, you know, in working with my clients and perhaps myself, I like to think about what are the gift of feelings? How can we use them? Hmm. What are they here to tell us? And I think they're really here to give us very um, important information. I like to think of feelings as the barometers of our inner weather. You, you know, much like we have our, our physical senses can kind of tell us information about our external environment Feelings give us really important information about our inner world, our psyche, and as you said, our conscious and subconscious mind, our thinking, even our past, hmm. present, and future. Is Because um, I'm assuming some of our feelings, we may not actually have a direct thought like in our consciousness, but we can still have a feeling. Like you might wake up. It seems like, like I've walked into a room before mm -hmm. and felt like something's weird. And I don't even know – I just feel it, something strange, and I don't – but it's not connected to a thought yet. So I guess there's preconscious feelings, right? And, and then is it, does the feeling proceed? Then I make up the thought about it? Right. Or, or, the egg. or is yeah. it the other way around? Yeah. It's a good question and one that experts are really trying to wrestle with. I don't think anyone has a clear direction um, or decisive theory about what it is. The, the latest research that I've really studied has been you actually do have a thought, even though it's subconscious, mm. which creates the feeling. Because you even said in your example, there's something that feels weird. Here. Yeah. You know, and then you had the feeling. And sometimes it happens, though, you know, that stimulus and response happens so quickly that we're not able to differentiate that we had a thought. We just understand we had a thought by the feeling. Yeah. You know, is, so sometimes it's a really great way to ask ourselves, 
what was what was I thinking right before I had that thought? And, I mean, and the feelings. Before I had that feeling. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, so that's I guess the benefit of being a human being is you could sit down after you've been through an, an episode or something that really stirred up your feelings and, and start asking yourself questions about what was going on there. What was I thinking? How long have I felt that way? Absolutely. You know, and, and the other thing that feelings can do is they can help us in the moment. You know, for example, if you can kind of for a moment, you know, track how these feelings feel in your body, like anger, anger, the feeling of anger feels very different in your body than, say, sadness. Mm. You know, for me, when I feel anger, I feel it in my chest. You know, it's like it feels warm. And I'm, as I'm sitting in my chair now, I'm sitting up straighter. You know, and I, I feel that my energy wants to move out. Whereas sadness, you feel it more, at least I do, you know, if you can feel it within yourself. Everyone is unique. It, but I feel it more in my solar plexus. Hmm. And it makes me feel almost cold. And I, I feel myself kind of wanting to curl up. Yeah. You know, and so anger is telling us a few different things. If we could say, what is the gift of anger? So when we feel angry, that inner sentry or that inner warrior has been awakened, and it says boundaries. Someone has violated a boundary, or we need to set a boundary, or maybe someone has called us on something, and they're right, and there's an inner boundary that we have that needs to be attended to. Mm. So, right? that, so that is the, that's why it's a gift. It angers. Yeah. It's not just trying to beat you down. It is no. trying to help you, protect you. Absolutely. I mean, think of those times that uh, one of the things I often say is the gift of anger is clarity. You know, because if you're in high anger, right, and we can talk about what that means, high anger versus low anger. If you're in high anger, you're actually very clear. Mm. You know, like I'm holding up my finger saying, uh-uh, no, no mm. more, you know. Yeah. Um, and that then, and if you think about kind of how energy, the energy of anger feels, we have the energy. We have the voice. We have the assertion. We feel like we need to say something. Yeah. Whereas sadness tells us the gift of sadness is release and letting go. And it says you're needing to let go of something to make room for something else. You know, And um, when we feel that, when we can name what it is we're releasing, it helps us move through and how to use that feeling. Because one of the things about feelings is once you're able to use it and get the wisdom it's giving you, it can diminish and go away. Mm-hmm. Right? It's giving you the answer. It's giving you the, that nugget of truth. And then you can actually take that energy and move forward, energy in motion. Right? Use it to make a change. And then um, that, that message has been gifted to you so it can travel on. Wow. And that's, I mean, that's a whole different way, like seeing all of these emotions. So I guess every emotion then brings some gift to us, some Absolutely. opportunity. Yeah. Wow. Let's, let's take a break. I want to come back. What are some more, sure. what are some more gifts? Of the emotions, some more we could talk about um, certainly some some of the other gifts, perhaps fear. Yeah, and that would that's a big one. Okay, let's let's do that. We'll take a break, come back, continue this discussion, folks. This is I mean, this is your this is your body communicating to you and giving you an opportunity to uh, to change, to take advantage of life and uh, and move on. We'll come back. More with Alika Torvalson in just a minute, folks. Stick with us. Well, this is the Matt Townsend Show.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, when you, whether you feel fear or angry, sadness, these emotions, these feelings, totally normal, folks. And uh, you can avoid them if you want to, or you can let them be your guide, your teacher. And Alika Torvalson is joining us. She is a, uh, a Huffington Post contributor and a professionally certified uh, life strategies coach. And um, also has a website if you go to alikasky.com, alikasky.com, you can find out more about the great work that she's doing there. Alika, welcome back to the show. Thank you. This is a uh, th- this topic is I love the idea of framing it as a gift because mm-hmm. if it's a negative feeling, a lot of us avoid it. We want to run from it, but you're saying no. Learn the lesson and see the gift that it'll bring to you. For example, the gift of anger brings clarity. Of, of information and emotion. Mm-hmm. Uh, you also then talked about the gift of sadness is the gift to let something go. Yeah, absolutely. And remembering that every ending is a beginning, mm. you know, and, and that's, um, that, that's a great thing to remember because those are those feelings that don't always feel so good. Yeah. You know, and because we're, we, we tend to, you know, we, we, we get pretty good at blocking them, um, numbing them, ignoring them, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. doing other things, so we don't or shaming them, so we don't feel them. And really, when we're at, when we are able to do that, we really turn up the volume on our whole lives in a really important way. It's we do. We spend a lot of time. In fact, a lot of the problems of this country in health um, mm-hmm. and and even just in social issues tends to be people trying to avoid these feelings, mask these feelings, medicate themselves for these feelings. You know, it's it really mm-hmm. instead of just letting them in and letting them teach. Yeah, you know, and I think you know I, I understand that because we're we can live in kind of a left brain culture. You know, where our our logical mind is an awesome thing. I don't want to diminish that. Um, I think that that logical part of us gives us incredibly helpful and useful information. It's great at analyzing data and organizing and doing our taxes, and we all need to drive on the, on the correct sides of the, the street, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, we need that structure and order, but our, our logical mind only can answer certain questions. And questions that I get in my practice, and certainly ones that I have around love and purpose and healing and, you know, mysticism and, and inspiration and um, spirituality, these are not linear logical concepts. Mm-hmm. So we have to utilize another layer of ourselves, perhaps rather than the head. Maybe we have to drop into the heart. So rather than logic or reason, uh, we need to access intuition, feeling, right? Yeah. And, and that is that important piece. So our, I like to say our EQ, our emotional intelligence, is just as important, maybe depending on the question, more important than our logical mind yeah. because... It answers questions our logical mind can't. Is um, and so much of this is kind of our wiring, right? So you have to understand this to understand yourself, or you can't. I would assume believe to reach a higher level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that you know, kind of going into this unknown terrain of what does that feeling mean is really important to, to really understanding our whole selves. Yeah. You know, all those parts of us, the, the parts that are really conscious and easy to see, and maybe those those parts of us that we might have shadowed or edited in some way. Hmm. What What yeah. would you say is the gift behind fear? Yeah, that's a big one, right? Because yeah. I, <laughs> none of us like to be un, 
have that space of uncertainty in our lives. You know, that, that's, a, that's a scary place to be. And when we talk about fear, we could do a whole segment on just fear alone because there's many layers to that. We're not necessarily talking about that instinctive survival fear that shows up out of the blue. Mm-hmm. The, the, that is to keep you safe. In fact, all fear is wired into that part of our brain that's deeply, deeply um, in that reptilian part of us that says, keep the organism alive, mm. keep, this, you know, keep this person um, well. And because of that, the, our fear tends to want to keep us safe. This is the thing, though. When we're talking about not a survival kind of situation, maybe we're talking about wanting to give a speech or get that promotion or do something that's out of our comfort zone, we're going to feel afraid. You know, so I like to think that fear is just that little reminder that we're, we're stepping over or moving into a new phase of our comfort zone. We're expanding into a new place. Hmm. So for me, when I feel fear, and for my clients, we really talk about, could you feel the fear and then kind of look at the story that's coming up around that? Because usually once we get to the, um, the edge of our comfort zone, the fear loves to be sort of partnered with the inner critic, you know, that tells us, no, you can't do that. You're no good at that. That won't make you any money. You know, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. So fear, when we, we start working with our fear, we can start saying, oh, all that it's doing is telling me that, you know, I'm not going to be able to do this or I can't do this, but I actually want to take this step and move into this new terrain. Yeah. So it's, feeling that fear and doing it anyway, you know, that's yeah. sort of an old saying, but I think it's really important to work with our fear because if we're going to do anything as far as growing and evolving, we need to get up close and personal with fear. And if, yeah, if you could, if you could understand that this may be a stepping stone to, you know, my self-limiting beliefs or whatever, yeah. then all of a sudden, you know, take on that fear and you've, you've just expanded your comfort zone. Exactly. Maybe there's actually nothing really to fear except being in that same place. That's interesting. That's great. Yeah. we got about so a minute a left. thing to work with. Uh, Alika, talk to us just in, in a minute. What would you say is the one thing we could all remember if we would just keep this idea top of mind it's, it really is one of the greatest, great tools to help us manage our emotions and understand our emotions. Sure. The only, the only other little piece I might offer is that, you know, we talked in the beginning here about sometimes our feelings can give us information about the past. Yeah. And when working with our feelings, one thing I often want to tell people is make sure that in work with identifying, is that feeling you're feeling actually about right now? Hmm. Or is this something that's triggered sort of this, you know, luggage perhaps or bag of emotions that you've been carrying up until now? For example, you know, if you're driving down the street and someone cuts you off and you're a little bit annoyed and you're angry, okay, some anger, some clarity saying someone has violated a boundary, it's, it's, it's a bummer, you know? Yeah. But if you're driving down the street and someone cuts you off and all of a sudden you feel enraged, perhaps that there's anger there that about a boundary that you needed to set 10 years ago. Yeah, no, totally. Or part of you that is being triggered in that moment. So a lot of times working with feelings, one of the things we want to do is make sure, what is this feeling really about? Is it about now? You know, if you're mad at your husband for coming home late and you're irate, is it about now or the times that you were abandoned years ago? Yeah, that is so big. Right, exactly. 
So we're, that's, that's the one thing I will say. So working with feelings, we, they're always real, yeah. but they're not always true to the moment. We have to decipher that. Mm, that's huge information. Huge. Well, we appreciate it. That, Alika, incredible uh, insight there. And we, we, if anybody, if you want to go find out more about Alika, her coaching, and her great work, go to her website, uh, alikasky.com, A-L-E-K-A-Sky.com. Uh, and her name is Alika Torvalson. We appreciate you, and thank you for the great insight. We'll take a break, come back, and go visit our good buddies who are completely in charge of their emotions. Stick with us. Our friends from BYU Sports Nation will be joining us next. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, you know, I love that Cloudy Hunter show. That is so good there on BYU television. Now let's shoot it down to our other favorite show, uh, not full of clowns, two very serious people, Spencer and Jerem. Hello, gentlemen. Come on. Come on. Get out of here. You can't we're transition serious. with clowns. You think we're serious Come and on. Call us clowns? <laughs> That's just good radio right Of all there. the topics. I know. Coming Sorry. down to us. Sorry about that. How you doing, boys? Good. I'm fantastic. How are you? I'm great. I'm doing great. Super neato. Hey, guess what? So I uh, woke up this morning and I had a text in my, in, my, in my message place, box, my inbox, mm-hmm. uh, from Steve Cafusi, <laughs> who happened yeah, to be Steve. in Missouri and had a picture of my son who's on his mission oh, nice. in Independence, Missouri. He was probably out there recruiting. He was, it yeah. seems like. Yeah. And he's, he, I don't know the other two gentlemen, but they look like BYU coaches or players, maybe. If they're Polynesian, they're probably on the staff. Yeah, they're not. <laughs> they're, they're just like the rest of us, messed up people. Uh, That's cool. It's really neat. It, it kind of made my day. Where's and your son? He's in Independence, Missouri. He's in the new Jerusalem. <laughs> That's one way to call it. That's one you think way to... anyone in town's like that's not like what? a Latter Day Saint? Yeah, like, no, no. There, there's like seven. There's yeah, what seven. are the expectations for a missionary there? Well, it's you're different like, well, because you're already here. Everybody knows about the church there, but uh, you know Missouri has an interesting history. Yes, it does with the church as well. So that that's and I guess they obviously have good BYU recruits because hashtag Lilburn, <laughs> Lilburn, Lilburn, <laughs> who's going to have a lot of burn. Hey, um, you guys, I, I heard when I was out uh, yesterday that you, um, you there was a or maybe last week that there was a little bit of a fuss about me always asking if you're still going to do your show. There's a fuss. Yeah, Who, like was it Jason? I don't know, but so it's probably Jay. You guys are still doing your show today, right? I think so. I mean, you are. One of these days we won't, and that'll be funny. I know that'll be really funny because I I like, like we actually aren't, but we're here for some reason. You, your show is so are, good. It's when like are we yeah. When are we not doing a show? But you are. You never. That hardly happens, right? I don't know that it's ever happened. Has it happened? I don't, I don't know think that it, it's happened. No, right? you <laughs> like you, you did three hours. That's, yeah. That's hard, right? That's really hard. Three hours? Oh, my gosh. But I'd rather do, yeah. That's easier than you guys have to work Saturdays. You work at night. You work on the weirdest days that you shouldn't be working. Voluntarily. Well. I want to make that clear. I mean, is it? And we're happy to be here. Yeah. We're going to be in Vegas next Saturday. Who just zipped up, by the way? Who zipped up? Oh, Jeremy, you missed it. Matt was in St. George, and uh, he was called out. 
to come back. And, and if he came That's back right. in the middle of his vacation, then Jeff was going to shave his head. But Matt didn't get the message. I didn't get the message. I, I didn't hear that. I don't understand that. anything. You <laughs> but <laughs> don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Matt was on vacation. Yes. Jeff was hosting. Yes. And said, if Matt comes back tomorrow, I will shave my head. Oh, nice. Yeah. Matt didn't get the message. Didn't get the message. You blew it! Plus, I wouldn't have come back. I mean, I'm not not that. I mean, I. I, We've done this act before. Yeah. I've seen a guy shave his head on the sports show at BYU, and it wasn't, you know, it was sad. It's not a pretty sight. It was really sad. Hey, um, I I was bummed, though, with uh, Triple Double guy. What's his name? Kyle Collinsworth? Uh, no, uh, Russell Westbrook. What? R- Russell, Russell Westbrook. Yeah. <laughs> this is a BYU show, Jeremy. That's For right. A year. Yeah. You thought I'd go to West. Yeah. I'm going year. Westbrook. What do you guys think of that? I mean, that is unbelievable. It is. It's, but yet it's an arbitrary number. Is it? So let's say, let's say you had 34 points, 14 rebounds, and eight assists. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's an incredible game, but just because you didn't get those two assists, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it is an unbelievable thing he did, and he's a great athlete. And he's a low percentage shooting guard, and when he shoots less, the Thunder are actually better. Are they really? And oh, I didn't know. They're that. a six seed. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's an interesting topic yeah. for sure. So it's okay. pretty polarizing too. You either love or hate. Russell. Well, and how many triple doubles have you had, Jerem? Uh, at at In and Out, I've had a lot. <laughs> you are for so, life. Dare I say more than Russell Westbrook? Yeah, Russell, that's Russell right. Westbrook. You are killing Russell Westbrook at In and Out Burger. Um, so what's on your show today? Today's I mean, loaded. You're doing it, yeah. Today, doing it. today is as loaded in April twelfth as we've ever had. I love these type of shows, Matt, because Why? anytime we can bring dating into the conversation, yes, this it is just fun. adds a new dimension to BYU Sports Nation. It almost to me, it actually adds a very scary dimension. And we are going to tell you why West Coast Conference basketball. And SEC football with Alabama and all of their notoriety and championships are a perfect match hmm. on Tinder. Oh, wow. Really? <laughs> okay, great. This will be fun. It, a, a lot of this has to do with the attitude towards the WCC. Yes. Yeah. BYU is not the best team in the league and probably won't be for a while. Um the way Gonzaga and St. Mary's are playing requires maybe an adjustment and expectation. So we take it to what Spencer just said, which is the SEC. Maybe people will understand what's going on in the league more with this analogy. Yes, if they understand in that, men's look, basketball. The, the SEC in football generally is going to be dominated and won by Alabama. That fact, that is what it is. We're going to lay out who St. Mary's is, who BYU is, and who <laughs> some of the other teams are. Oh, excellent. Okay. In the SEC. Plus, uh, Mike Littlewood, the baseball coach, Batcats rolling right now. They've won eight of nine. Yeah. They play Pepperdine this weekend. That's a big series. We'll talk to him. They beat Utah Valley in the uh, Parkway Derby yesterday. Hold on. Is that, is that what we're calling it? Well, other people call it other things. I would like to call it the Parkway Derby. Okay. Uh, we'll, we'll also have uh, Steve Cleveland, President Coach Steve Cleveland, will weigh in on how BYU fans should be treating kind of the top of the WCC. And our Twitter question is interesting today. When do you think BYU basketball will win the WCC? Hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's soon. Mm. Yeah, it seems like a while. As long as Mark Few is a head coach of Gonzaga, it's going to be, be tough. It's, it's going to be a while. Really yeah. tough. Yeah, like it, it could happen. But we, in our stat of the day, we'll tell you later, how many wins would it take? What would the record have to be? How many losses are you on average afforded 
to win the league. BYU has not been close. Yeah. That's sad. So it's a very positive, uplifting, exciting. Super fun. <laughs> Which is why we're bringing dating into it. Yeah, kind of, I, I think even the dating, yeah, that's going to totally. Soften the blow. Yeah, softens it. it. I think it'll make it really fun teaching us the Tinder version of NCAA sports. It's neat. BYU and <laughs> Tinder, a perfect match. <laughs> a match made in heaven. Um, so that's it. That's the that's show. made on the internet. Oh, uh, it's, Yeah. We, listen, we we need to get ourselves together, Matt, okay? I know. Believe me. We say that down here all the time. <laughs> we got to get it together where, whenever we're ready to go. That's yeah. what I've been saying for a while. You guys have got to get it together. I know. And I mean that in a brotherly, loving Thank way. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, well, it sounds like a great show. Now, um, I'm going to leave you with my love and happy grilled you, cheese sandwich day. Yeah. <laughs> Today, Amen. I didn't. Do you, are you guys? Are you guys? You did it. You just did it. I leave you with my love and blessing. <laughs> you guys are nuts. You start your show in five minutes good, and thirty-eight seconds. Good, good luck with your show. Thank you. It, you have five and a half minutes to get ready. Okay. Yay! And right. um, may you always remember the love of your beloved here at FarmersOnly.com. Free plug. <laughs> We're all the city folks. This segment brought to you by FarmersOnly.com. <laughs> Good job, gentlemen. Have a great show. Knock him dead. That, um, I love it when they break into jingle. You know, once you can break into a jingle. Jeff, do you want to break into a jingle for me? Uh, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. boy. That's a good one. See, it's just. By Menon. Okay. Clap on. Okay. Ch-ch-ch-chia. You done? That was a lot of jingling. I don't know if you heard, I asked for one jingle. <sighs> Just for the taste of it, Diet Coke. That's uh, an old one. That's going back. Oh, and you're very familiar with Diet Coke, aren't you? Why? Because my kidneys curled up like, you know, dried fruit and... Pushed out a kidney stone. Is that why you're saying that? <laughs> Just because my kidneys are so empty of fluid because all I drink is Diet Coca-Cola beverage that my kidneys just push dust out? <sighs> no need to bring that up. No need to be rude. Hey, um, uh, fun story. An Ohio family are celebrating four people, four, they're the quadruplets, they're the brothers, Accepted. All of them were accepted at Ivy League schools. Thank you. Quadruplet brothers in Ohio have been accepted to the nation's top universities, including each of them have been accepted to both Yale and Harvard. The Wade brothers of the northern Cincinnati suburb of Liberty Township say they have been notified in recent days of acceptance also to um, some other schools, uh, I guess, including Stanford as well. So what? how do you choose? Aaron, Nick, Nigel, and Zachary, all great men, have to now make decisions where they want to go. Aaron, like Stanford University, his three brothers are leaning toward Yale. Now, wouldn't it be sad if none of them went to Harvard? Talk about first world problems. Yeah. Do I go to Yale or do I go to Stanford? <laughs> Where should I send my quadruplets? That's a first world problem too, I guess. Um, the four seniors, by the way, great students, obviously. But 
It's hard to get accepted to one of these schools. Now, Yale's easy. What? Yeah. You think Yale is easy to get into? Yeah. Really? But I chose to go to BYU. Why? Tuition. <laughs> Tuition's a lot cheaper. Tuition. Tuition. There's another jingle for you. I don't know that that is a jingle. Tuition. I think that's a, a song. Yeah, that's not. Tuition. Okay, well, um, a little music brought to you by The Matt Townsend Show with the help of Jeffrey Liam Simpson. And uh, let's make it very clear. Don't ever ask him to just share one jingle because he can't stop. Now we're going to get to our hero story of the day. The hero, uh, Long Island teenager, saves a grandmother after a health care scare. One Long Island teenager is the hero of her family after she knew exactly what to do when her grandma suddenly collapsed. The two have always been close. Now they're even closer than ever before with a quick-thinking high school senior saved her grandmother's life. It happened right before a girls' basketball game inside the gym at Calhoun High School in Merrick. Zara's parents, uh, sister aunt, and 78-year-old grandmother Graciela Perlasa was there. It was the championship game, and Zara was getting ready to run the scoreboard when she noticed her family panicking on the other side of the court. Her grandmother had collapsed and was unconscious. It was a really, really scary thing, Zara said. She said she feared her grandmother was gone. She couldn't. She didn't feel a pulse. A competitive swimmer and lifeguard, Zara was certified in CPR, so she did what she had been trained to do since the eighth grade. But first she said she panicked. Zara said her father yelled at her saying, you can't panic in this type of situation, as he encouraged her to start compressions um, for less than a minute. And her grandmother finally woke up and said, ow, stop. And they'd saved her life. By the way, there's a little rule for you. The minute somebody says, ow, stop, when you're doing CPR, good time to stop. Congratulations to you, Zara. You are the hero of the day on the Matt Townsend Show Isn't it weird? One little job, maybe as a lifeguard, ends up saving uh, your grandma's life later in life. Cool stuff. That's the show, my friends. We'll be back tomorrow. More ideas, more information to help you live longer, love stronger, lead healthier, happier lives. Until then, make it a great one, and let's take care of each other. We'll talk again tomorrow.